Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning. This is the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick, subbing in for Bill. Uh, he has been dispatched to Russia by the Argentine football team to see if he can find out what is going on with Messi. Uh, in the meantime, we've got a great show for you. Uh, we will have Brandon Weatherby, the managing editor of Brightest Young Things, and uh, the Bill Press Show uh, Trump Whisperer, uh, I think is his official title here at the Bill Press Show. We'll be followed by my friend Gideon Berger, who is a fellow at the National League of Cities Rose Fellowship, and followed by that, Bridget Bowman, our politics reporter at Roll Call, who's going to break down today's primaries for us. But first, over there in the booth this is Peter Ogburn is with the Phil Court, Court Press. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Jason, are you hungry? I'm always hungry. Same. I'm always hungry. <laughs> well, let's go to Manhattan in the financial district. There is a restaurant called, of course, it's called Don Wagyu. At least Don it's not the Red Wagyu. Hen. It's not the Red right. Hen. Don Wagyu is a restaurant in Manhattan's financial district. It's about a five-minute walk from the New York Stock Exchange. It is going to be opening next week, and one of their offerings well, – well, let me just first of all say it's called Don Wagyu, so they're selling tons of Wagyu beef, right, because of course. But if you want to go there for lunch, they have a sandwich that will cost you $185. Are they, is this because of the tariffs, Peter? <laughs> it has nothing to do with the tariffs. <laughs> this is, is, is honestly sounds disgusting. The sandwich has Wagyu beef, which is <clears throat> breaded and flash fried, because that's what you're supposed to do with Wagyu beef. Yeah, I don't think that should you should really do that with Wagyu beef. Yeah. It's, part, part of it is just like the, I mean, you really want to kind of emphasize just the beef. No, 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 no. We're going to fry that bad right. boy. We're going to yeah. deep fry that bad boy. Uh, you can go to the Tune In if you want a flash fried burger. <laughs> the Tune In exactly. burger is amazing. Exactly. Why would you do this to a piece of Wagyu beef anyway? Uh, if you want that, it's available starting next week. What's the Nirvana song? Because I'm dumb. <laughs> yeah, because, exactly. I mean, like, yeah. Sucker born every minute. It just writes itself. Uh, okay, so if you were to go to try and visit Big Ben over in England, there's a problem because it's under construction. So you can't get. 
you can't tour it the way that you normally can. It's obstructed by scaffolding and things like that. So what are people doing? Kind of, kind of like the Dome a few years ago. Kind of like the Dome a few years ago. So what are people doing? They're going to Big Ben, and they're giving it one-star reviews on Yelp. <laughs> Which is the greatest thing ever. It's just so <laughs> dumb. People are going because they want to see Ben Ben, Big Ben, and they get there. And it's like, can't even see it. What am I going to do about it? I'm going to go on the internet and complain. That's lame. Lame. We came all this way. This is this sucks. At least, at least, people visiting Big Ben be grateful that they did. The Brits didn't arrange for Ben Roethlisberger to greet you. There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously, that would have been a lot worse. Um. Don't do that. <laughs> Just don't do that. Don't go to Big Ben and leave a one-star review on Yelp, okay? For God's sake. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump came up to the Capitol uh, to meet with congressional uh, lawmakers. I know it only feels a couple of weeks ago, but it was just last it week. It actually was last <laughs> it was week. One I, week I don't ago. know what I was thinking. It was, one, it was less than it was one a, it week It was a ago. Trump week. Yeah, yes. it was a Trump week. Uh, well, so here's the, as he was meeting with these lawmakers, he was walking through the Capitol, and there was a staffer for Maggie Hassan right. who screamed uh, F you to Donald Trump. Mis- uh, it was, I think it was Mr. President expletive F you. you. Yes. Right. Right. This is a family show, right? Yes, yeah. a family show, okay. so we, we cannot, should not say it. Okay. Well, here's the deal. She has been identified uh, and she has been suspended from her job at the Capitol. For a She's week. She's been suspended right? for one week. Her congressional badge has been revoked. However, she is still working in the office. So it's not like she lost her job or anything like that. She's just been scolded. Which... That's, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I mean, it, we're going to talk a little bit with Brandon about like some of the you know, sort of civility issues that are coming up. I can't wait uh, with restaurants and, and things like this. Uh, that was kind of shocking. You don't necessarily hear that in the halls of the Capitol. It is a workplace. Yeah, you know that that's fine. One week. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But hard, hard pass revoked. Lose her job, and she has to work in the Hart Senate Office Building. <laughs> right. This is the Bill Press Show. Once again, I'm Jason Dick. I'm Roll Call's managing editor for leadership. I'm subbing in for Bill, who, as we explained earlier, has been dispatched to Russia to try to figure out what's going on with Messi. Uh, the Argentine football team values Bill's services, as do we. Uh, so there, there's that. That's that's a uh, you know I I'm going to try to keep the World Cup soccer jokes with Bill Press going. I have to admit, though, I, I don't know as much about soccer as I do just sort of insulting members of Congress. I have to so. tell you, I have to tell you, <laughs> on Friday of last week, we had a guest who was very upset that we had asked him to come in in the 8 o'clock hour, the second hour of the program, because there was the Co- Costa Rica-Brazil match. Oh, so we, most people want to go come in later. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He was upset. So, But we, we, we had him come in, and we put the game on TV. So you'll notice... We have three televisions in the studio. Usually they're on <laughs> on Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC. We've taken Fox News off of the TV, and we put on Fox Sports, mm-hmm. which is where you can watch World Cup matches. So if I, during today's show... There's some sort of soccer game in... in or 
Mat- match? It's a match. Yes. I think uh, it's a match. Yeah, I think it's a match. <laughs> With their kits. Right. Yes. On the pitch. On the pitch. Yeah. You know, so so Gideon, who we'll talk to in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, he, he's a big soccer guy. He, he actually goes to AU soccer games, being an AU alum. Oh, wow. Uh, he and I actually went in on a, on a package deal with the uh, United for, at their new stadium. Nice. So I'm going to learn all about soccer. Even though I played, I was one of those kids who played in the 70s and 80s and, you know, just sort of pretended to know what I was doing on a soccer field. I peg you as an enforcer. <laughs> On the soccer field. Well, maybe now. Uh, uh, when I was, I was terrible at soccer, but right. I was an enforcer. Yeah, I, I was. I, I was. They didn't know what to do with me because I was kind of a skinny, tall kid. Then now I'm a skinny, fat kid. Right. Uh, and and <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't really good for much of anything. I mean, I could, I could try to, uh, you know, block the ball like in the in the backfield. But even then, I mean, like my as my uh, you know gym coach in high school says, like you you kind of you know we want to get you past the point where you have to jump around in the shower to get wet. <laughs> so it, it's only recently have I taken on the enforcer body. <laughs> yeah, I had a trademark move, which is smash the ball with your face yes. as hard as you can. Yeah, works really well. Yeah, it does. Works um, really really well. I've noticed the soccer players now have the the, the masks. You know, they, they. I'm anti that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like what Gordy Howe, right? The guy right. that went with no, with no mask. I mean, well, and no you know, helmet. the part. I guess part of the beauty of soccer is no equipment. Yeah, you know, just just a uniform. Yeah, so. uh, it's a kit. <laughs> it's a kit. That's right. It's, it's, it's a, a kit. kit. <laughs> not a, and that's not a kilt either. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, which you know, l- let's face it, we're all wearing kilts right now. You can't see it because you only see our torso. Waist up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like a, a little bit about this week. I mean, you mentioned Trump went to the uh, the Capitol last week. Uh, that was sort of a momentous day, b- besides just the intern uh, getting her yayas out <laughs> in, in Stat Hall. Uh, it, one thing, it took almost a, like almost a week to identify her. You know, so it's like I don't know if like the Capitol Police dispatched Inspector Clouseau to find her. <laughs> Uh, but like it took a while, yeah. like, and they had a description because right when it happened, you know, the, you hear, you heard on Twitter, you know, the, that there was this sort of all points went out looking for somebody with like, you know, a very specific description. Um, <laughs> and it was obviously somebody with a hard pass too, sure, uh, to, right. to be in, in the building. It took a long time, uh, to find <laughs> someone. <laughs> I thought she was going to get away with it. Yeah. I thought she was going to get away with it. Cause look, it's not a crime if you don't get caught. Do you think somebody narked on her? Had to. Really? Had to. In the Capitol? A rival, a rival intern in Maggie somebody Hassan's office? Somebody knew. Somebody <laughs> got that information and somebody mm-hmm. snitched. Yeah. That's what happened. Right? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, that that day, so, you know, Trump Trump went to the Capitol. That he was going to apparently reveal all about his positions on immigration. Um, apparently that didn't happen. Uh, about about what, what he wanted in an immigration bill. Um, so, you know, everybody just kind of logged on to Twitter afterward to, to see what was going on. But he also his, his stance on immigration is that Mark Sanford is a very sad man. Right. That's he's, his stance he's, on immigration. He's, he's yeah, like, and yeah, but there was the that was the thing. Like, you know, Sanford, you know, he he called out Mark Sanford, um, who who apparently wasn't even there. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and um, you know, brought up his uh, you know, Argentine, you know, love affair, uh, you know, it, you know, said he was this sad guy. And and there was this kind of smattering of booze. I mean, it went over kind of like you'd imagine, like a fart in an elevator. I mean, yeah. it's just like, all right, let's just pretend this isn't not happening. And then he kept going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and, and then even people who, you know, like probably support the president about 99 percent of the time were, were felt moved enough to boo him lightly. Um, when when 
some of the people were shown like his tweets later. Some Republicans who were in the meeting were shown his tweets later. They just said categorically, that's just not true. That didn't happen. Yeah, you there know? were Republicans right. that took to Twitter because to, Donald Trump was bragging that right. there was riotous laughter right. in the room. Right, and, and not just those like Republicans. squishy liberal Republicans right. from suburban Philadelphia like right. Ryan Costello. I mean, like <laughs> right. people like, you know, Raul Labrador. And, I mean, who's you know in the Tea Party yeah. and the Freedom Caucus guy like, like Mark Sanford. And, you know, one of the things that like, I, I thought about and, you know, I, I'd be interested to see what you think about this being a South Carolinian. Yes. Is it Sanford agree or disagree with his political viewpoints? He is a relatively sort of authentic, grounded person. I mean, you, I mean, you may you may just be like, wow, that's a crazy position on abortion or whatever. But like it's it's he's not hiding any of his positions. No, at all. I, you know, it's funny because I. uh I did radio in Charleston, South Carolina, Christ, 18 years ago when I knew Mark Sanford as like a local politician. Uh Uh, And I remember he was one of the guys that was like, I'm sleeping in my office. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to use the taxpayer money for, 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 which is dumb, but and kind of gross and gross. But, but that was his big thing. Right. And he was all about term limits. Right. But the one thing is he's, he was, he's always been a very authentic guy. Right. Truly. Uh, I obviously disagree with him on a lot of issues, most of them, but like, he's a pretty authentic guy. Yeah, and he, you know, he served three terms. He came in in the in the Republican wave in nineteen ninety four. He served three terms, went back to South Carolina, got elected governor, served two terms. This guy was being talked about as a possible presidential, you know, candidate, and then you know he, <laughs> well, you know, he he, you know. Did what a lot of people do, which is screw up their lives, uh, you know, screw up their marriage, you know, have a like kind of pursue his heart in a in a very ham handed fashion yeah, yeah. <laughs> by going to Argentina and telling your staff you're on the Appalachian in a Trail. Very public midlife crisis. Pro- providing us with perhaps the greatest euphemism for having an affair, uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, you know, and then he was he fa- there were rumbles about him being impeached uh, in, in South Carolina. He served out his term. Uh, you know, he he I, I've I've noticed, you know, a lot of people say, like, you know, th- this affair ruined his marriage and ruined his governorship. And I and I think like I one of those again, I'm not trying to make the show all about Mark Sanford, but I just I felt like some of these things that would just deserved a little bit more like attention. One, he served out his term as governor and he didn't you know, nothing. There was no real scandal, you know, like beyond that in, in terms of his governorship. He served it out. He got divorced. People get divorced for a lot of reasons. Sure. Uh, I mean, affairs are typically symptoms, uh, not not causes of of uh, dysfunction in a marriage. And then he got elected to Congress on his own accord, you know, in, in 2013 when Tim Scott uh, became senator in, in that coastal Carolina area. And I think, you know, it, it's kind of fascinating that like the the those those folks in that district i mean this is coastal carolina you know it's it's like the the beaches and parts of charleston and so forth the low country it, the low country yes, and you know and it, it's just kind of it's fascinating they're like yeah we've we've made up our mind about this guy and then you know to see him kind of turned out in a primary was a little weird and then there's the weirdness too with the woman who beat him yeah uh uh kitty errington and uh you know being in a car wreck and she you know hopefully she's okay it's just a it's a strange sort of turn of events, but like the the fact that Trump would go after that, you know, this guy who who lost, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it it's a it's it suggests a, a a little bit of tone deafness, not even really being able to read his own support most fervent right. supporters by going after somebody like Sanford, and also like like you said, 
he had an affair. His marriage was falling apart. Not completely out, like an outrageous thing that happens, right? Like these things happen. <clears throat> Way less weird than, you know, having sex with a porn star and then paying her to be quiet about it. Yeah, a little bit. That I find to be odd. It, it also, the whole episode, you know, I mean, uh, ostensibly, <laughs> this was about, you know, Trump going to Capitol Hill to shore up support for the House to pass immigra- some sort of immigration, you know, legislation. Not just, and not just immigration legislation to address what's going on at the border with parents being, you know, separated from their kids, but also like providing a, you know, a path to citizenship for the undocumented kids who were brought here at a young age. I mean, like, you know, putting some more money into his border wall. I mean, like, they were talking about, like, billions of dollars going to build the wall as part of this legislation. Um, you know, and, and like, it just got muddled. It got lo- a little bit lost in a somewhat rambling conversation with, Weird. with the conference. <laughs> it's amazing That's how that happens. Amazing. Um, and then the Sanford thing comes up. And then... You know, they they put these two bills on the floor last week. One of them goes down, which is the more conservative version. And then they they bring up, you know, they they start to bring up this compromise version, which has the path to citizenship and addresses some of the problems with child separation and puts a big down payment on construction of the wall um, or fence or whatever it is now. Uh, (laughs) And like... And and then he starts tweeting, like, you know what? Stop wasting your time on these bills. (laughs) And... You know, it's just it's I, amazing. I I have like I don't you know I don't know you know Kevin McCarthy or or Steve Scalise, the principal vote counters in the Republican conference in the House, but um, and again, despite any maybe policy you know dis- disagreements or just being a you know a member of the press, somebody who's trying to stay objective, you just got to feel for him on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're spending yeah. they're spending an immense amount of time and energy trying to figure out what the president wants, well, and it changes on an hourly basis. That's the thing, right? Like, I, I actually think I, I want to ask you about this because I think you are one of these people who I consider to be a creature of the Capitol. You know what happens in the Capitol, but yeah, it's exactly. You know what happens there better than most people. Uh, you know, everyone says this isn't normal, and it's not, right? But, like, to have a president that doesn't even know the issue, but also where he himself stands on an issue, like, it's so confusing. So to be an ally of the president, to be one of the Republicans that's helping him carry his, I guess you could call it an agenda, it's a, it's a cobbling together of of vague ideas that he's not even sure which ones he's tied to i guess that's a vision but like how are these people moving forward how does a kevin mccarthy or a steve scalise or even a paul ryan who we know is not moving forward but how do they (laughs) how do they continue to do this job um well, as I said, in Paul Ryan's case, he is not going to continue. He just doesn't. Do job. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's, he's given up. And and like as as if to just keep on, you know, like thrusting the knife a little a little deeper. Uh, you know, you saw this thing about Harley Davidson, which is this you know kind of proud Wisconsin um, company. It's it's uh, you know it's not that far. The the big plant you know outside of Milwaukee is not that far from Janesville, uh, Paul Ryan's hometown. And, you know, they they stated very explicitly yesterday that in order to deal with the tariffs that are being imposed on them because of the administration's trade agenda, they're going to move some of their production overseas. And, of course, this, like, you know, prompted a, a you know, pushback from the president. And it's like he's losing people who who ride Harleys now. Yeah. You know, I mean, like the, the, and and like and so they're now everybody is getting a little bit of a taste of what it's like to try to figure out something that 
from somebody who doesn't necessarily know. I mean, one thing that Trump does know, and again, Brandon is a very good explainer on, on this kind of stuff, is he knows what his crowds want. Yeah. And, he, and he knows what worked for him in 2016. That may be different than what works now, but he's going to keep hitting that same chord. You know, over he's going to he's going to keep playing the hits. Yeah, he's playing stay away. And and like Freebird, and, yeah, guess. and and this. <laughs> Sorry, you know, no, no, you know, you Southerners. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's always about Freebird. Man. It's always about Skinner. Roll Tide. <laughs> um, but wait, isn't? Weren't they from Florida? They were from Florida. All right. Yeah, they were from Florida. <laughs> but Sorry. the Alabama part of Florida, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, so, <laughs> can I play a clip for you really quickly? Yes, because, please. Because yes, Governor, please. Governor Scott Walker was actually asked about this right. yesterday at the Wisconsin Cheese Festival. Excellent. Sounds like heaven to me. Sounds like we need to go. But yeah, totally. But he was asked about this yesterday, and he gave a very wishy-washy answer. We're trying to get more businesses to invest in America, and particularly in the state of Wisconsin. So they they have this. They now have to figure out how to toe this line of being completely subservient, subservient to the president, mm-hmm. but also realizing like, oh crap, in my state, I just a bunch of workers just lost their jobs right. because directly because of the president's policy. And and he and you know Walker unlike Ryan is running for re-election. Right. Uh and he's always had to figure out the, you know, populism versus, you know, like, you know, conservatism like line. I mean, Walker has has, you know, say what you will about him, he keeps winning <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, he 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 keeps winning. And th- this is one of those like sort of visceral things, though. I mean, this isn't just like pitch, you know, picking on a bunch of like corrupt labor bosses, you know, or or, or teachers who just want more money, you know, like in Wisconsin, you know. Uh, there they want a living wage. You know, th- th- this is like an icon. This is like picking on like the Green Bay Packers, you know, which you know I guess Trump has done indirectly at Probably, least. Probably, yeah, you know? yeah, sure. Um, but but you know, th- this is a, a weird thing. And and getting back to your ult- your. First question about like how do how do they do their jobs? I mean they 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 don't you know I mean like they're because and this is where I, I don't know if you you know heard or saw this you know that George Will you know the the you know sort of liberal uh, Democrat progressive columnist at the Washington Post even the liberal George Will <laughs> not not really uh, he he wrote in his column in the Post over the weekend vote for Democrats in November uh, like they will they they will be still horrible. But less horrible than Republicans because Republicans have abdicated their responsibilities as an independent branch of government. They're not holding them to account on oversight, you know. And people will say, "Oh, but the judges." And he's and you know he's he's like a he likes to cite the Constitution in his columns. He's like Article Three, which is talks about the judiciary, doesn't outweigh the needs of Article One and Two. And you know, and an Article One <laughs> is the legislature. Yeah. I mean, like that was the first thing that the founding fathers got. Um, so, I mean, some people are trying to figure out what to do. I mean, Jeff Flake, the, uh, Niels Lesniewski, a uh, friend, friend of the show, uh, and the Senate, uh, our, our Senate reporter at Roll Call, um, you know, he wrote this story. He's been following what Jeff Flake has been doing. Jeff Flake has been tangling up this one judicial nominee, uh, Britt Grant in, in Georgia and, uh, for the 11th circuit and using what small meager procedural maneuvers he, he has to stall a vote. Uh, on on this judge and said, you know, over the weekend, hey, this is because of the trade agenda. This is because I'm a free market conservative and I, I don't agree with this president's trade agenda. He was it was like people had been daring Jeff Flake, like, OK, you keep on saying, you know, you don't agree with the president. What are you going to do? Well, he actually did something now. 
And, you know, poor Jeff Flake, like, if you read Neil's story on Roll Call, it's like, it's kind of a lonely task. Not that many people are signing on. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about, like, you know, Pat Toomey, you know, who's a Republican senator from, from uh, Pennsylvania. He used to be the president of the Club for Growth. <laughs> and he was a Wall Street investment banker. And, you know, if anybody's going to believe in free market, like, you know, the, letting the free market, the invisible hand of the free market reign and not imposing tariffs and so forth, it's going to be him. He's like, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't I wouldn't hold up a judge. You know, I mean, it's like the, these judges, like they're, they're like this weird priesthood, you know, now. I mean, um, among among members of Congress, among senators. Um, so they they're just in this sort of stasis. They're kind of waiting for direction. And that's that's the problem when you don't have your own agenda independent uh, when you when you're looking to somebody. Sometimes they do provide direction. Um, and, and sometimes they do give you uh, an agenda to follow. And then sometimes they don't. And the nice thing about having your own, like, sort of two feet to stand on and, you know, or, you know, just your own, like, ability to, to set, like, what you want to do in a public policy or an oversight role as, a, as an independent branch of government is that you can be like, okay, this is kind of confusing, so we're just going to do this. We're going to, you know, and, and, you know, what, awesome. they'll, right. They'll, they'll get some spending bills passed and, and things like that. But I think you're what you're going to see, uh, you know, like, I think that they're, uh, they're, they're going to pass in the house some bill about like fisheries or something like that. And, you know, granted fisheries are important. I love, I love fish. Big fan. I'm a huge fan. I have um, all their albums. <laughs> Actually, I I'm hate, sure. I hate the band fish, <laughs> but I love the animal fish. You know, my, my, my wife, Fawn Johnson, like she's. She went to a lot of fish shows. Did she really? Oh, yeah. I have been to multiple fish shows in a former life. In a former life. <laughs> but the... now that I'm a grown man, it's not for me. Right. Now that now that you got the long beard. Yeah. yeah. Even though I look like I like fish, <laughs> I do not, in fact, like fish. Just don't go to a Skinnerd reunion concert. Okay? <laughs> um, Roll Tide. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I mean... They're they're passing you know bills that are they're the equivalent of kind of treading water as they try to figure out what to do. They want to vote on this immigration you know th- some sort of compromise or some kind of bill that would address like the child you know and family separation thing, but but they don't know and and they're just like you know yesterday Trump wanted to talk about Harley Davidson and Maxine Waters on Twitter, and so they they didn't get their direction and it, you know it's just and it's just like hey. Maybe you should, and and they keep on saying like it would really be helpful if the president would tell us what he wants. And it's like, hey, I have an idea. Like, do what you think is right. Yeah, even yeah, if I it's mean, even if it turns out to be wrong. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, the the immigration situation that we have going on at the border right now is nothing short of a crisis. This is horrifying. And in the last twenty four hours, there have been tweets about Jimmy Fallon, Harley Davidson. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the and the the canopies, the dirty canopies <laughs> at the restaurant where she tried to eat. Like that's what he's got the you bandwidth. You won't for. find that at the Trump Hotel. No, dirty on no the outside, dirty, canopies. dirty on the inside. <laughs> and so, like, you've got the president of the United States. And again, I mean, this is not. I mean, this is not exactly breaking news, right? But like, this is what he has the bandwidth for. He doesn't have any interest. In making policy, forming an idea, forming a philosophy, and selling it to Congress, 
He just cares about catty gossip. You, you know what occurred to me, uh, you know, over the weekend, in, in, uh, he went to Nevada to appear at a fundraiser and, you know, sort of rally for, for Dean Heller, the Republican senator who's running for re-election, probably the most vulnerable Republican senator. It's actually a, an opportunity that Democrats feel pretty good about. They have the candidate, Jackie Rosen. She's the current uh, congresswoman from the 3rd District there. And Wacky he, Jackie. Right. He, he unveiled his, uh, his, his most preeminent weapon, which is a nickname, yeah. Wacky Jackie. Uh, and and hoping and you know the you know campaign committee you know the Republicans have sent out wacky Jackie kind of things. Of I'll bet I'll bet he's thinking like, oh, I should have saved the wacky moniker for Maxine, wacky Maxie. <laughs> like he's like I blew it. Like totally I mean, like, blew I mean, it. Yeah, I mean like he, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been better? You know, like if if only the Maxine Waters thing would have happened before the Nevada. You know, he touched down in Nevada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest regret he has about being president. <laughs> right. Do you have any regrets about uh, the way that you've been president, uh, President Trump? Well, they should have saved the name for Maxine right. Should, should have saved the wacky moniker, wacky <laughs> nickname. Remember when the remember when the nicknames with remember when Bush you know had all these nicknames and we, and we were thinking like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, yeah, he has to. I mean, and and there were you know people were like sort of you know. Like they they were thinking like is it because he can't remember our names like is that, is that what it is he like that's why he calls me like Sancho or whatever like, <laughs> and and now it's just like now we wait you know because right. because it's, it's like uh, you know it, it's it's this way of you know like uh, setting the t- the universe's table like there's 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 wacky Jackie over there she's a threat to our man our main yeah. man Dean you yeah know, straight shooter Dean Heller or whatever you know and I I just I'm like. We have uh, we have changed a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I was just talking about this the other day. Do you remember when gaffes were a thing? Like yeah. we used to freak out about Mitt Romney and his gaffes. What about your gaffes? Your binder full of women. Yeah, right. Who cares? Gaffes, <laughs> gaffes. I think that they still apply to other people, though. I do too. Actually, I I, I, no. I think that um, you know, I mean, I I I I feel like actually Maxine Waters. Probably wishes she would have phrased what she said differently. Totally, you know, uh, and and that's again one of those ways that like Trump wins is that he'll zero in on everything. I mean, you you think that you're hitting back, you know, hitting back against the bully, and he'll just find some other way to like you know to 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 get you know to use what you've exactly what you've said against you. And, that and is his true skill. It's it is like he is the he is the preeminent gaslighter. Yeah, like of. I mean, it it is unparalleled that sort of skill, um, and uh, you know, I, I again, not 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 to hype it too much, but when Brandon gets on here, I mean, like he has a special, like sort of way of uh, of of sort of making sense of this, and and I I look forward to hearing him because we we uh, we prepped a little bit and and talked about uh, Red Hen and. You know, I'm and, very excited and, for this conversation. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, but yeah, the, the, the getting back to the this week, I mean, the the you know theoretically on Wednesday the House will will vote. This is what the the Republican leadership has said that they'll that's what they told our House leadership reporters and other other folks. Um, they want to vote on Wednesday. Today is the fish, you know, uh, and, <laughs> and tomorrow yeah. is tomorrow is maybe some kind of immigration, maybe if they get a tweet from above. Um, and then, and then Thursday and Friday, and it's like, what can we do on Thursday so we can get out of here <laughs> like for the 4th of July? <laughs> you smell that, Jason? It smells like democracy. It smells, 
Mm. I love the smell of democracy in the morning. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We will be right back with Brandon Weatherby, managing editor of Brightest Young Things and person who can explain stuff that uh, we have trouble grasping. This is the Bill Press Show. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick, guest hosting for Bill Press, who is uh, has been dispatched by the Icelandic football team to uh, make sure that they understand that they, even though they are probably not going to advance in the World Cup, that they are still worthy. Uh, Bill Press's services <laughs> are valued by the soccer world. Perfect. Joining me in this half hour is Brandon Weatherby, managing editor of Brightest Young Things here in the district and author of The Donald, How Trump Turned Presidential Politics into Pro Wrestling. You can follow him on Twitter at... Y-M-T-E. Before we start talking with Brandon, though, we're going to go to Twitter ourselves. Yes, indeed. And and we're we're going to just... Give in and and just like accept that this is the way people communicate now. Is, we just all <laughs> communicate uh, via a series of proto language, uh, and that is, that is how things get done here. All right. First of all, I want to pick up. We had a poll on yesterday's program about whether or not the Red Hen in Lexington, Virginia, was right to ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders to leave. We put up a poll uh, after hundreds of votes. Absolutely yes, eighty-seven percent. No. 13%. So uh, that was an overwhelming win for people who thought it was okay to kick her out. Uh, Kimberly says, yes, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, stay for lying stay lying for Trump and promoting zero-tolerance law. So, yes, they had a zero-tolerance for her. I agree with the owner kicking her out. Uh, Opal says, I will be eating at the Red Hen. Congratulations to them on doing the right thing. Another person, Kimberly, says, I will be eating at the Red Hen in Lexington, Virginia, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, by the way. Uh, So... um, so Kimberly will be eating there. Uh, anyway, if you have a comment, find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show uh, and join the conversation. Uh, also, I mean, I, I wanted to point out a little bit too that uh, you know Lexington, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the we 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 actually have a little bit of audio for people who were. Uh, calling other red hens, uh, you know, thinking that maybe the, it was the red hen in Bloomingdale here in D.C. or the red hen in New Jersey or the red hen in Connecticut. And we and we should uh, we, we'll play those in just a second. But I'll, I'll point out that the red hen in Lexington. Now, Lexington is where Washington Lee College is. Mm-hmm. It's also where the Virginia Military Institute is. This is not a liberal bastion uh, of, of blue um, Virginia. I mean, th- this is a this is not a. You know, th- this is pretty much red America. It's it's know. the Shenandoah Valley, right? right like right. so, yeah. It's it it's Trumpy. There's a lot of dressage there. I mean, there yeah. are ho- there are horses. There are there are still drive-in movie theaters outside of Lexington. I mean, yeah. this is this is not like you know Manhattan. <laughs> no, <laughs> or, or nothing play. like it's, it. They, they they don't deep fry their wagyu beef there. I don't think. Damn, um, <laughs> missed opportunity. <laughs> missed opportunity. Um, anyway, yeah, like we'll, we will play we'll play some of those uh, messages a little bit a little bit later. But uh, first, let's let's actually let's talk about some of this redhead stuff. Brandon, like, Hi. hello. <laughs> um, you and I were, uh, you know, I, I I couldn't wait to ask you about about some of this stuff because, you know, the I, th- I feel like the first wave of headlines about what happened with. Red Hen, you know, mm-hmm. in, in Sarah Huckabee Sanders being asked to leave, and then you know Stephen Miller and Kirsten Nielsen, uh, two two Trump aides. Stephen Miller is a domestic policy advisor and a big immigration uh, guy in in the White House. Kirsten Nielsen, of course, is the Homeland Security Secretary, and then Pam Bondi, you know, the Attorney General and a big Trump supporter down in Tampa. They were all sort of either heckled or asked to leave mm-hmm. establishments. 
And it, I feel like the, there was about five seconds before the inevitable second wave of headlines was, how will Democrats screw this up? This this will make Trump and his supporters mad. That will be very bad. Yeah, yeah. Like what what is what is going on? Like, are you do you think that like this is uh, what do you think of, of how this situation is unfolding? I think know? it's perfectly fine to say shame, whatever. Uh, which <laughs> but people have been doing on MXDX and where Stephen Miller goes, whatever. Uh, it will change nothing, uh-huh. and uh, it will make people feel good for a little bit, and that's it. It won't change a thing. It doesn't. And I don't know. You liked Bourdain. I liked Bourdain. Mm-hmm. He's no longer with us. R.I.P. Because um, mental health is an issue. Everyone should see a therapist. It'll calm down both sides. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe in in terms of God or lack thereof. Uh, therapy helps everyone. Maybe that would calm everyone down. I yeah. think that you, that amen. should be a bipart. Don't say amen. This is a this is a godless uh, stance. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, part of the fair. problem. The more he's fair. from the south. Yeah. He can't well, I'm it. not. I'm from Chicago. I'm superior than you. Obama beat. Oh, bless your heart. Obama won. <laughs> yeah. Obama beat Romney. Romney gets to win today. Chicago still number one. Anyways, this is a godless show. The show for the left. Um, I don't know how this ends. And the boarding thing, the reason why I brought that up is like the whole kind of premise of his entire career. Well, not, not career, 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 but yeah. Third career. I mean, heroin was a big <laughs> part of the first part. But no, I'm talking about the, the, the TV right. part. It was about bringing people together over food. And there's there's American episodes right. in, the, in the last few seasons. And the whole point was that's you know, really one of the only ways to get to cut through the noise. Right. Is to cut through a delicious piece of meat, everyone. Um, uh, yeah, so and, I, don't and, see how, I don't see the yeah. point of this. I don't see how right. this ends. And even, you know, so Bourdain, um, you know, one, one, as you mentioned, one of his shows was in mm-hmm. the United States. I uh, went to West Virginia for Parts Unknown and CNN. I recall uh, uh, No Reservations, which is his previous show on mm-hmm. the Travel Channel, where he went to Texas and he hung out with Ted Nugent mm-hmm. uh, and 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 kind of said, like, I couldn't help but, like, like Uncle Ted. Yeah. You know? I mean, and and they I mean, they are about as far apart as you can get. Um, I know there's still privileged white men that should have been arrested for crimes that other people that weren't privileged white women would have been arrested for. So I think they're pretty similar, actually. Fair. (laughs) That 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 is fair. Fair point. Um, But one of the things that also struck me about the Bourdain thing is is that he um, he sat down with and I'm I'm blanking on the New Yorker staff writer's uh, name, but he 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 sat down with this guy who wrote a profile of him Mm -hmm. in the New Yorker late last year. Uh, it's a it's a it's a great um, profile of him and and kind of sad and you know yeah. if you're if you're still raw about Bourdain's death you may you may want to hold off a little bit on on it but um, but then he so the 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 writer wrote the profile ran in the New Yorker and then a little while later they uh, this year they sat down for one of these you know kind of New Yorker televised or you know taped talks and Bourdain was saying that you know he he had realized something about himself which is that he felt like he was to people in a place like Iran mm-hmm. um, or, or Turkey maybe or, or, or some other country where the politics were very far away from, from where he was. Um, but because he could sit down and, and talk to them about things that they, they shared in common, he was willing to give them a pass on, yeah. on, on issues like women's rights or you know abortion or something like that. Um, and he said that he wasn't sure if he was willing to do that as as much in the United States. Of course. And and I th- and I thought that that was an incredibly self critical, mm-hmm. like healthy self critical moment. Uh, and, and which is why he, you know, he said that he wanted to do West Virginia. You yeah. Because that that's and you know again for for my own like I I lived in West Virginia for two years. I 
I uh, when I, when I saw he was going there, I'm like, what's this going to be like? I mm-hmm. mean, is, is this going to be something authentic, or is he going to like put his pith helmet on and you know go you know trudging in looking for pepperoni rolls? Um, and by the way, those are delicious. Um, yeah, straight they are. <laughs> um, and and I think that that you know that that's you know part of the thing that is so like such a bummer you know about about his suicide too is that you know th- we, I thought we were seeing some kind of growth and it's like okay you know we I've been all around the world and I'm like asking these you know questions for people you know on, on this on this one level and now I kind of want to turn it inward in a time that we're you know again we're dealing with this right now I mean mm-hmm. the, the, whether this is an issue or non issue for terms of motivating the base in the Democrats or the Republican, you know, like electorate. Um, this is what we're talking about in addition to, you know, some other very serious issues about civility, about like how do you, what do you do when somebody comes into your restaurant and, I mean, and your staff's uncomfortable with it? It is consistent with Trump, not because of the tweeting about the different red hat and restaurants. It'd be great if he added the wrong one. Um, <laughs> would be, wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. It's because, like, it, this has been well documented. It's in the book I wrote, The Donald... Uh, Trump turned presidential politics into pro wrestling. Uh, he eats the same stuff. He eats fast food because the likelihood of fast food getting messed with is much lower than at a restaurant where people actually know who you are. So he's he's been preparing for this for a very long time. So. Yeah, yeah, he's well equipped to handle this this yeah. uh, this situation. Well, and you know, and I I th- I think that the you know the these are distinct episodes. These four episodes that you know we're just sort of talking about, like where the civility thing has co- has come in. Uh, and, w- and before we get to uh, um, Maxine, w- the Maxine Waters comments. So Red Hen in Lexington, mm-hmm. you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders asked to leave, politely asked to leave. She politely leaves and then goes on Twitter, you know, and <laughs> sends out to her three million followers or whatever that she'd been kicked out and voicemails ensue. You which, know? By the, which, by the way, Walter Schaub had, has pointed out that that might not have necessarily been legal, what she did. What? Yeah. Which, not that it doesn't is, matter. Get over it. It already happened. Stop no, it. No, 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 Don't I, get hung I, up on that. I, I, I'm not hung up on that. I, just, I, just, I feel like I have to point that out. That's tr- three terms, at least three terms, because I, of I stuff like this. You like don't need to, to point, point that out. You don't need to point that out. That but, is my point. You're getting hung up on this. This is four terms if he wants, definitely three. That's the kind of stupid, you're getting hung up on the dumbest thing. No, 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 oh, no, I, I feel like I have to put that up. But you also, don't. Why do you I, feel that way? I, Why do you feel like you have to But whether it's legal or not it's definitely punching down right it's definitely punching oh down. why do you care mm-hmm. why do you care if it's punching down or not well th- so back to back to this <laughs> this is this is this is a wrestling technique. i've broken him yeah. <laughs> not, no, not at all no. not at all <laughs> you're so far from that <laughs> you've made me stronger <laughs> <laughs> so, well, and and I feel I think this is some of the things things that people feel about Trump is that like they you know they they're ready to cheer on somebody like Maxine Waters when she when she punches back right and then how does it how does the debate get away from her you know because so she's like you know she said the word push you mm-hmm. know and people are like she wants to kill everyone okay so she wants to light gas stations on fire I know he didn't plan to how talk did... about wrestling but here we go um, <laughs> do you know who Bobby the Brain Heenan is. No. Do you know who Bobby the Brain Heenan is? Of course is? I do. Okay, yes. Bobby the Brain Heenan is top five announcers of all time. He's actually from Chicago, which makes him superior to you because you're not from there. Barack Hussein Obama is from there. <laughs> Barack won. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, people are thinking, like, does this man really think the South is uh, not as good as Chicago? Yeah, they move to Chicago. It's the best. <laughs> we got a lot of problems. We're still targeted by the president. That means we're doing something right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, so uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, greatest announcer, one of the greatest announcers of all time. You know who Ric Flair is? Oh, yes. 
Ric Flair. There you go. That's all you need to know. Ric Flair was joining the WWF in the in the early 90s. He was going from WCW, different territories. This kind of matters. Um, He was going to challenge Hogan and that kind of thing. He was the old school. He was the best. He was the jet flying, limousine riding, etc. Flair's was entering the Royal Rumble. This sounds so stupid. In '92, in '90, something like that. '92, and he was entered in third. So Bobby the Brain for the next hour, because the Royal Rumble football was roughly an hour, just kept saying, it's not fair to Flair. It's not fair to Flair. Well, that's actually completely fair. That's exactly how the wrestling thing works. Flair was known as the dirtiest player in the game. Win, lose, or try, but always cheat. That was Ric Flair. So you got the announcer going, it's not fair to Flair. It's not fair to Flair. Well, yeah, it's not. It's more fair to Flair because of that. You're changing the rules for Flair. That's brilliant reasoning, and that's exactly what Huckabee Sanders is doing, and that's brilliant, and no one's been playing fair to Flair, and no one's been acknowledging, like, oh, this is just an old wrestling trope from 20 years ago. Why don't we do this? It works. Also, as far as the shop goes, you know, I mean, he, this was a guy who was the, the head of the Office of Government Ethics. You know, that after Kellyanne Conway said, please go buy Ivanka's stuff, like, on television in her capacity as a White House counselor, nothing happened. And Walter Schaub was like, I got to get out of here. Like, I, like, I got to go into the private sector. Well, I, mean, I don't think any of that matters. I mean, right. to your point, yeah, I don't think it matters. And I think getting hung up on that would be dumb. But I also think that, like, it, it's such a bad look. It's such a bad look, so, but but at the same time, we yeah. you're right. We gotta we gotta stop getting hung up on that. So and because so, they just don't care, right? And so that's that's one. So that's one issue. And also, like as the the as people you know as the red hen people in D.C. pointed out, what that what happened in Lexington is actually illegal in D.C. You can't refuse service to somebody because of their political beliefs, which you know again shows that like a liberal you know sort of jurisdiction like like D.C. is actually like that's. That's less okay than like in the yeah. in the in the deep throes of like Red Virginia. Yeah. So so uh, uh, the other the other heckling that went on here in D.C. by Stephen you know the, of Stephen Miller and Kirsten Nielsen a little different. They were not asked to leave mm-hmm. uh, by by because of their you know employment. They were asked to leave because people were protesting them. Yes. And, and and the and the and it was getting a little out of hand. I think context matters too because the Christian Nielsen was the day she gave the press conference. Right. And then she went to a Mexican restaurant. Right. Next so next to the White House. That kind Great of matters. Look. Great and and look. and this is where it, it, it is one of those things it's like was she aware of how that might have looked or or like or is, was it sort of like antagonizing like I'm going to do I'm going to say this all this crazy stuff like my boss will probably contradict me in an hour and everything is happening at the Mexican border and I'm going to go to a high-end Mexican restaurant next to the White House. <laughs> Like what is that? Is that a lack of situational awareness, you or is that acute situational awareness? You, I, I think it. I think it probably was on purpose. It's sort of the, similar to what Scott Pruitt did when he went to the diplomat after he pulled out of the Paris Accords, mm-hmm. right? Like it's governing by trolling. They just want to trigger the libs. That's all they want to do. That's all they care about. It's really not about getting anything done right. or any accomplishments they can point to. It's just about making liberals angry. And to go or is that the side benefit? Because I mean, there is an agenda at work here. I mean, Scott Pruitt is. I think that is the know, agenda. Yeah, but uh, I, I mean, Scott Pruitt is is literally. I mean, he he is very meticulously trying to disassemble yeah. environmental policy that has had bipartisan support for forty years. Sure, but and, I, and, what, uh, what I'm saying is, I think it was a conscious decision for them to go to these places mm-hmm. just you, to make. You don't think angry. Stephen Miller is a big Mexican food fan? No, I don't think so. <laughs> No, I don't think so. So, so, but you're you're a little bit more. I mean, you're like, go ahead and heckle, right? Hey, go ahead and heckle. But what's the point? 
Yeah. I mean, I have I have friends on both sides. It is possible. I have friends from not Chicago and Chicago. Uh <laughs> better. Um <laughs> no, I do have Republican friends and I do have liberal friends and my liberal friends are very of the they're very passionate. That's just hate. You're like they're they're preaching hate these people, so it's we should heckle them. But mm-hmm. I think the counter argument is like, yeah, well yelling at them is also not helpful. So what do you do? I don't know. The, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I no, don't and, think this ends well for anyone. No, and because it, it usually, I mean, when things escalate, you know, particularly when people are feeling like put upon or or like taken advantage of, or that some or their their very country is at stake, whatever your motivations are, it tends not to end well. Uh, last last example on this on the heckle, yes. you know, heckle meter, heckle the, in the heckle sphere, the heckle sphere. Uh, Pam Bondi, who's mm-hmm. the Attorney General of Florida. She was in a uh, Tampa theater, um, and and somebody you know yelled at her, "You're a terrible person," and you know, and she she left, and it was deliciously ironically uh, a documentary about Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Uh, Won't you be my neighbor? Now th- this is in, yeah, no, this is great on a couple of levels, like because it, it's hard to script that better. I mean, they weren't at like a you know. The purge, yeah, the purge or something like that, like, um, or or in downtown Tampa, at like, uh, you know, a, a revival for you know, like a World War II movie or something like that. I mean, like it was it was a documentary about Mister Rogers. This is also important because you mm-hmm. like have have a very strong connection to Mister Rogers. He was your hero for was a my long hero time. for a long time. You given oh, yeah. me one of the books that he wrote. Yes. You were the third person to give me the exact same book. <laughs> Because that's how much they know I like Mr. Rogers. This is not a joke. I've worn cardigans for decades because of this. You've been to the the uh, museum in Pittsburgh. More importantly, I've been yeah. to the Children's uh, Pittsburgh Museum alone. Alone. I don't have a child. <laughs> that's a great look. And I was there alone. I left very soon after realizing this is not appropriate for me. <laughs> like going to the Care Bears movie. You know, John Waters did that once. You know, I think just to see what would happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and uh, and you wrote you wrote about you you were looking forward to the documentary very much uh, so and you wrote about it for brightest young things yes and uh, I would like to yeah I'm going to posit that I am the reason why the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes is not a 100 it's a 99 and I'm the only negative review oh wow because brightest young things is part of Rotten Tomatoes so I'd like to not apologize for that did anyone else see the flaws in things or are we just looking through this with rose colored glasses let's look at let's let's look at that let's talk about it okay so because this gets into one of your other heroes which is a nice natural transition absolutely so. uh, the film tries to have it both ways it literally starts with a recap of the first week of shows of Mr. Rogers neighborhood which is the television show that which we know Mr. Rogers for it's about how building a wall is bad that is how the film starts the film ends Asking, what would Mr. Rogers do in this climate? They never actually say the word Trump or 2016 or Hillary Clinton or emails or anything like that. Um, In the middle of the film, we find out Mr. Rogers was a lifelong registered Republican. In no way is that surprising. He is from an upper middle class. He was from an upper class family uh, in a white suburb of Pennsylvania. Of course he's a Republican. He was an ordained minister. Of course he's a Republican. Mr. Rogers never once said anything publicly about how he voted, which was kind of important. I don't think it was fair for the filmmakers to do that. I think they're trying to have it in both ways. And the way that I think is the most hypocritical is the crux of the film, the real conflict of the film, is we find out that the officer, the man that played the officer in the, in the, in the television show, was gay in real life. Mr. Rogers found this out. It was the late 60s. They go, hey, Mr. Uh, they found out he was going to a gay bar in Pittsburgh. And they said, hey, Mr. Rogers, I'm assuming that's how everyone spoke to Fred Rogers, hey, Mr. Rogers, <laughs> this guy's going to the gay bar. You might want to have a talk with him. So he said, hey, you can't go to that gay bar anymore. Um, because I might lose sponsors and stuff. And this is on public. This television. is on public television in the '60s. 
He's worried about 60s. sponsors. Yeah. This really bothered me, and it bothered seemingly no other reviewer, because that's the whole crux of the film, because the film was sort of made with permission with the Rogers family. They appear in the film multiple times. There's a lot of threads that are never pulled. Um, they claim that Mr. Rogers loved gay people. Then show me one other gay person. Uh, I'd like to see one example of that. I'd like to see how... Um, why he was so fa- afraid of losing sponsors? Uh, you're on public television. Why? What? They never once mentioned Sesame Street or other any progressive, wonderful children's television programming. It's like this. Mr. Rogers was the one beacon of hope, ignoring all of the loud t- television for children. Also, loud television for children isn't necessarily a bad thing. You kind of need both. You want both. Not every kid will like Mr. Rogers. Some kids need that disconnect. Some kids' lives are so bad they want a screaming cartoon with a knife and stuff. And I get it. Like. That's how people live out their fantasies. That's not necessarily an inherently bad thing. And I understand that it's a documentary. They can't they can't just finish all these thoughts. Right. But then don't raise those thoughts. Right. You can't give him all of the credit. It's not possible. The gay thing bothered me the most because I did some research and uh, I was like, well, Studs Terkel. Studs Terkel, to me, they, my other hero besides Mr. Rogers. Studs Terkel's my adult hero, Mr. Rogers, the childhood hero. Studs Terkel spoke out for gay rights in the 40s. I don't know if you guys know how time works. That's before the 60s. <laughs> before the 60s when everything went crazy. So and don't everybody tell me you can't take Bill a... Bill left the ministry you can't, in the 60s, true. right? You, can't, <laughs> you could take a stand in the 40s. He had a television show after that. In working class Chicago, too. Like, not, Come not, on. Maybe not the most uh, hospitable environment uh, for talking about gay rights after World War II when everybody was like, you know, and I understand the America's whole. Great. Chicago's great, as you damn right. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> you, you, and I understand that a lot of people might think, well, you're just asking for a hero. They made a film about a hero. Right. We're supposed to view this man as the hero, and also in a hero's journey, it's okay to fall and apologize and move on and grow. They don't show that growth. They show that he's getting a little bitter and angry by the end of his life, which is fascinating. But they don't really explore right. it. And that was so disappointing to me. In the HBO short documentary, because God forbid Studs Terkel gets it a whole two hours. It's only 40 minutes. It's available on <laughs> HBO Go. I highly recommend it. They, they cover what Studs did and who he stuck up for. And, like, he never caved. And that's the beauty of Studs. And um, it's kind of sad that Mitt Romney is going to win today. <laughs> he stuck up sort of kind of maybe against Trump two years ago, and now he's going to be his BFF from Utah. Is he though? Yeah, absolutely. Think, yes, Are you kidding I do me? Think so. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna like that'll be. That's got to be the easiest money. Yeah. I I mean I I'm that's like I'm Golden cu- State going back to the finals money. Like I'm putting all my money on Mitt. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, Mitt, Mitt Romney's gonna win. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, and, and do and you the, think do you think the likelihood of a sitting senator that wants to get reelected during Trump's third and fourth term will ever go against Trump? That, I mean, or is he being? He wants to be civil. Is that he just wants I, to be I, civil? I think most politicians are opportunists, and so yeah, like, exactly. To, to, to be seen, um, certainly the like Mitt Romney has come a very long way from saying he's a fraud and a huckster and all this kind of stuff. Or he never stood where, for anything right. whatsoever. Right. You could have it that right. way too. I'm I sure mean, he's a very nice man. It, yeah, I mean, it, it it is kind of almost Romney, and we're going to talk about this with Bridget later on uh, in in the show. Romney's kind of been all over the place, not just geographically, born in Michigan, governor of Massachusetts, like current like senator in, to be in, in Utah. Um, I mean, the, you know, like the, the term carpetbagger was, uh, you know, is, is a little I mean, he does own property in all those places. So, you know, this is he's like one of the founding fathers, you know, he just you know, kind of like have a have a property here, have an estate here, have a Sun Valley residence here or wherever in in uh, uh, in, in Utah. But I mean, the. 
I don't know. I mean, like the it, it's interesting to see what how the Mormon community in particular responds to Trump. I mean, Jeff Flake, you know, is still, you know, like eking out a little bit of pushback on on Trump. It'll be fascinating to see. Brandon, I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it right there because I love that look. Brandon Weatherby, managing editor of Brightest Young Things. You can follow him on Twitter at ymte. Thank you so much for coming, and you know. Please read Brandon's review. On, on, Thanks on, for having on, me. Yeah, absolutely. We will be back shortly. Oh, we got to stretch it out. Yeah, we we got like a minute left. We got a oh. hard. We got a hard out here. You want, so. me, to give, oh, you want to get me to get on a soapbox about how I just destroyed a childhood hero? To <laughs> you people? got thirty seconds. Do it. <laughs> all right. Here's the thing. Listen, I want people to still watch Mr. Rogers and all that. I clearly am not against him. I think he belongs on public television now, not just on the app. I think it should be on a mandatory seven a.m. thing. But maybe we also listen to Studs Terkel and we listen to adult conversations at seven p.m. And you realize, hey, uh, not all crazy Republicans are bad. Not all crazy uh, anarchists are bad. They're probably in the middle. Most people are in the middle so let's be cool with that is that okay is that is am i filling your time correctly sir <laughs> rack him <laughs> damn right <laughs> there you go brandon weatherby thank you very much sir this is the bill press show hey friends don't be a stranger keep up to date with all of the bill press show happenings around the clock on social media here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I am Jason Dick. I am guest hosting for Bill. Bill is, as we mentioned before, he is in Russia. He's been dispatched by the Croatian government to teach meditation techniques to the Croatians so they can channel their negative energy into their soccer acumen. Uh, Bill's skills there are unparalleled in the world which is why he is he is there and i am here uh, i am joined by my former colleague and friend uh gideon berger he's a program director of the rose fellowship for the national league of cities he is a uh, a longtime washington resident long time he's a he's a has come and gone uh as as the as the hobbit would say as as, <laughs> as J.R. tolkien would say from there and back a couple of times in dc but he's got a very unique perspective on this city uh, and we're going to talk about the evolution of D.C. from multiple perspectives. But first, this is the Full Court Press. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to the sports desk first of all, because last night were the NBA awards. And we found out who the MVP was for the season. And it was James Harden from the Houston Rockets. No real surprise there. He had two contenders, uh, LeBron James and New Orleans' Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis finished third. 
LeBron James finished second. James Harden finished the, first. The beard beat the brow. The beard beat the brow is the headline. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, James Harden was the league scoring champ. He averaged 30.4 points per game, and he led the Rockets to a franchise record 65 victories. Should be pointed out, he is the fourth player to average at least 30 points per game and help lead his team to 65 wins. The other three players, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Steph Curry, and Michael Jordan. So pretty good company there uh, for James Harden. He's the first Houston Rocket to win this since Hakeem Olajuwon back in 93-94. So uh, congratulations to James Harden. Showtime has announced they are going to do a new limited series on... Fox News. It's based on the book by uh, Gabriel Sherman, the loudest voice in the room, and they have now cast Roger Ailes. Playing Roger Ailes will be... Roger Ailes? The corpse of Roger Ailes? I'm sorry, it's not <laughs> going to be the corpse of Roger Ailes, but it will Bill be... Bill O'Reilly. Close. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Oh. Russell Crowe wow. is going to portray... Roger Ailes and the now speaking of beards, like he like Russell Crowe has some very strong beard game right now. He I has assume, a huge beard game yeah, right it, now. like it's I dare say it, Peter, it, it's longer than yours. <gasps> uh, 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 is, is is I guess that's coming off then, right? Yeah, it's got to come off. Yeah, unless we have some weird like alternate can, reality where Roger Ailes Crowe Crow can do splotchy. He was in that the movie, spy movie, Body of Lies with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah, and he came across right. as very like like frumpy, so he yeah, can yeah. he can do Ailes. He can totally pull it off. Uh, I'm not. I don't see when this is going to start. So I'm not sure when this limited series will be taking to air, but we do know that it's going to be on Showtime, and it will be Russell Crowe as Roger Ailes. I cannot wait to see the rest of the, of the casting. I know, right? That's going to be so good. Well, because you got to think, they're going to have to cast like Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly. And Bill O'Reilly. And I, I think Ben Affleck is, as Sean Hannity. That's right? pretty good. Right? I got to say, that's pretty damn good. I mean, he, I think he could do it. Like, yeah. And as far as O'Reilly, that, that'll that be a tough one. Um, like, I'm, think, I'm only thinking of dead actors right now because they're the only ones who can do that kind of intensely, like Rod yeah. Steiger, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, if you have any any ideas of who could play Bill O'Reilly in this, uh, find us on Twitter. Or at, you could go the opposite direction and go Kevin Klein. Sorry. <laughs> totally <Nope>. opposite direction. <laughs> Uh, and one final story, we go to Sweden, where thousands of people are joining into this new trend, inserting microchips into your hand. No, really. Uh, contactless credit cards, key cards, rail cards. You can put all of these on the microchip in Sweden, and it, and it goes right between your pointer finger and your thumb, right in that fleshy. Like like a dog. Like, like a, a dog. Yeah, so that it doesn't run off. Well, it's actually the same technology. <laughs> it literally is the same technology, but they're actually able to put in credit card uh, information and things like that, so you don't have to carry your stuff with you. This is the Bill Press Show. Welcome back. Uh, this half hour, I wanted to talk a little bit about D.C. It seems like every week or so we get some sort of Goat choker, uh, I believe, is the technical term in uh, journalism uh, about, uh, is D.C. cool? Yes, it's cool, but it's giving cool a bad name or something like that. Uh, there, there's all kinds of uh, 
different uh, takes, hot takes, cold takes, medium takes on uh, on what's going on with DC. DC is uh, you know kind of a fascinating place. It's grown uh, like hogweed in uh, in in Virginia. It's getting ready to blind you. Uh, uh, but you know, it, I, I and I felt like we could uh, we could have some some awesome perspective by bringing my friend and colleague Gideon Berger in. Gideon, welcome to the Bill Press Show. Great to be here. So good. Let me just give a quick uh, history of you. You first came to Washington, D.C. Um, on, on an extended stay uh, when you were a student at American University. Uh, you went, then went back to your ancestral lands of, uh, of, of, of New York, uh, Queens, and, and Long Island. Uh, and then you made your way back and worked at National Journal. You hired me uh, as as my first job in Washington. From you, you saved me from from uh, a life in Arizona uh, in the in the desert landscapes. Uh, we worked together at Greenwire for a while. You you, you kept working at National Journal. Uh, and then you went to work for the Nature Conservancy. And then you decided you got this crazy idea that you wanted to to help people by helping them plan their cities better. <laughs> and so right. you and so you you left behind uh, a, 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 the the riches of journalism and uh, and <laughs> and and do and editing copy and and writing it for urban planning. You went to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, you made your way out to Denver. You worked at uh, the 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 uh, for for different Denver entities, the city as as well as the Transportation Authority. And you are back in D.C. You're working for the uh, National League of Cities and their Rose Fellowship Program. So you have a, this perspective on D.C. that I think is 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 a great one as as someone who was here, you know, at different points in his life and different careers. And let's let's just talk about like how we see, how you see D.C. now. Like uh, you know what's I mean you're because. The the impetus for this uh, was a, a story that was in Politico uh, about a, a, a little bit about where Trumpies, where young Trumpies, you know, and that's that's I guess that's a word now, uh, where they're living. Uh, so let ta- let's talk about where you live, a little bit what what you do at the Rose Fellowship, and and why why people, you know, how how are people processing D.C. as a, as a city. Yeah, I'm a four-time D.C. resident, uh, as you alluded to, uh, much like the New York Islanders of my youth were a four-time Stanley Cup champion. Um, and uh, Barry Trotz is, uh, yes. you know, like a current employer. It's making yes. me almost want to care about the Islanders again. But, um, yeah, each time I've lived in D.C., it's really been a different city. Mm-hmm. Every time you leave and come back, it, it just regenerates itself in, in ways that are really astonishing. Mm-hmm. And um, similar to other, other strong market cities around the country, but at a much more rapid pace. And I think that's what often leaves people who have lived here for a long time or even folks that are relatively new to the city kind of reeling yeah. uh, because it, it's a little bit um, – you get a little dizzy trying to keep up with the changes uh, here in Washington uh, in the built environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, the city has demographically transformed. Um, there's hundreds of – literally hundreds of thousands more people living within the district itself now – when I first came here as a freshman at American University in the summer of 1990, and um, and even from the year 2000 when the census actually showed population loss mm-hmm. uh, in the 90s to, to that to then. Um, right. Well, I think when I got here 20 years ago uh, and started working with you at Greenwire, it was it was June 1998, and I think the district population was somewhere around 450,000. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or, or was that, it was that big? Yeah. So it, it it was, and now we're at was, pushing 700,000, right. which is not the historic high, and that's something that right. you know folks need to kind of keep in context. Uh, after the years preceding, or immediately after World War II, we were at about 800,000 people, mm-hmm. so we're still 100,000 plus away from mm-hmm. that that high watermark, uh, which was you know. Almost seventy years ago, 
Um, but yeah, the the article in Politico was was really interesting because uh, I got a lot of shout outs on Facebook. People asking me what I thought about it. As mm-hmm. you alluded to, I now live in a neighborhood that literally did not exist as uh, as a um, mixed income residential neighborhood, or right. uh, in the part where I live in it um, was all industrial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I live in what's technically the Capital Riverfront, but most people call it Navy Yard. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, starting about. Almost 20 years ago, its transformation was sort of begun, uh, mm-hmm. and there's there were sort of you know five big catalysts that led to that that, that we can talk about if you want. But um, the article in Politico sort of painted this monolithic image of um, everything in the district south of the Southwest Southeast Expressway uh, and north of the Anacostia River as sort of this boring, sterile, new um, part of D.C. and sort of made the argument that this is where all of the new young appointees in the Trump administration must be living. A bubble within a bubble, I yes. believe, is the way they described it. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, there is sort of a degree of truth in if you want to think of it as a city within a city. Mm-hmm. There's certainly multiple cities within the city, uh, I think, and there's about 10 of them that are at some stage of redevelopment in the, just in the district proper right now, right. which also is astonishing. I'm hard-pressed to think of another city that even has four or five mm-hmm. projects, redevelopment projects of that scale. But even within that portion of the city, it's a very diverse place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I took a little bit of umbrage to how the political article kind of portrayed my neighborhood and the adjacent neighborhoods. Uh, and before we get into that, yeah. let's just talk just real quickly about what you do at the National yeah. League of Cities. And, and like you, you are you are literally dispatched across the country to help cities plan, like like to, to try to make their cities a better place to live. Right. So the, the program that I um, that I run is the Rose Fellowship. Uh, it's the Rose Center for Public Leadership and Land Use mm-hmm. is a joint program with the National League of Cities and the Urban Land Institute. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, each year we invite four mayors mm-hmm. of big cities, usually newly elected ones, although we've worked with second-termers who are not term-limited. They pick a team of department heads, and they come up with an urban development challenge, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an opportunity, which is also a challenge. But they're, the reason why they pick it is they're stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, the politics of urban development and the technical aspects of urban development are incredibly complex, and cities get stuck. Mm-hmm. And uh, my program really exists. Not D.C.'s problem right now. <laughs> no, D.C. Is, is not stuck at all, uh, although it's dealing with some of the externalities right. of, of that success and that growth. Um, and, um, you know, my program helps get them unstuck. And we spend a year working with the four cities and their teams. Um, we bring in volunteers from ULI's network around the country, uh, interdisciplinary folks who give their time to advise the cities. Mm-hmm. We make them work uh, as a team, peer-to-peer, um, they have a lot to learn and teach each other. Um, and we take them to other places to be inspired because if you're in the business of building cities, you really need to see examples of success and talk to the players that that made those things happen. Also, examples of failure. You actually learn more from failure than from success. And I mm-hmm. don't know if that analog um, carries over to politics as well, but it certainly <laughs> works. It's certainly not with the current occupant of the White, <laughs> the White House and, and members of Congress. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so uh, it's a great program. We're in the ninth year of it. This year I'm working with the cities of Tucson, uh, Salt Lake City, Richmond, and Columbus. Mm-hmm. And every year there's great stories. And But really there's we've seen the trends uh, over the years of the kinds of issues that they're grappling grappling with. And D.C. actually is sort of the, the um, most extreme, maybe one of the most extreme examples of sort of you know, grappling with your own success. Right. And I, I, I was thinking about this a little bit um, with – Yesterday, when I went out to lunch, I actually went out to lunch with our previous guest, Brandon uh, Weatherby. He was uh, 
Um, Brandon just has a lot of time on his hands. He likes to just, you know, find ways to get angry. No, just, just kidding, <laughs> Brandon. Uh, but we went to the Post Pub. You know, like, you know, I, I, oh, I work yeah. downtown at 1625 uh, I Street. Brandon, uh, the BYT offices are on 15th and K. And, and he's like, hey, you want to just get lunch? You know, it's kind of a slow week. And so I, I suggested the Post Pub and went in there and realized that th- there aren't that many places like the Post Pub left. Right, you know, they're where, and and I'm not I'm not talking about like how amazing the burger is or anything like that. Uh, they do not deep fry the wagyu beef, apparently, Peter. Missed opportunity. Right. <laughs> this is a total <laughs> missed opportunity. This is a, a ongoing joke now because there's a Wall Street. Uh, uh, what, what's it called again? A uh, Don Wagyu. Don where Wagyu. You can get a deep fried wagyu steak sandwich for one hundred eighty five dollars for lunch. Wow. For yeah, lunch. For lunch. Yeah, that that's Light uh, lunch. conspicuous consumption. I think is the term. Um, but I think and, light lunch. I think. Fried beef. Yeah. Fried, <laughs> fried heavily marbled beef. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so, the, you know, the post pub is just is, is one of these like sort of vestiges of that old D.C., you know, of of, um, of of a place where it was sort of a bar with moderately priced booze and food. And it's not that great in terms of like the, you know, it's not going to get any Michelin stars, uh, but it's just like it was super comfortable. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like I we could have walked in here. And one of the reasons I chose it, too, is that I want. Brandon to to realize that it's not just Chicago, his beloved Chicago, that still has cool places to eat like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to uh, put on my urban therapist hat for a second and <laughs> respond to that by saying what I hear you describing, Jason, is authenticity. Yes. Authenticity. Yeah. And authenticity, you know, comes from a lot of things. It comes from history, things that have been around for a long time. Old age. That's right. Well, the memories that you associate with the place. Uh So by definition, new places don't really feel authentic to us, right? right? Because they're brand new. We haven't created uh, memories there. And, And, you know, the way that we build cities today, uh, they sometimes can look identical. Mm Mm-hmm. And that also has this air of inauthenticity. And, Glass and uh, steel buildings. Right, yeah, right? yeah, for sure. The architecture and the scale. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the built environment, you're, mm-hmm. what you're witnessing in the United States, you're seeing, you know, a city like D.C. that's been around for a couple hundred years. So you, you see buildings of different ages, mm-hmm. you know, and uses that have evolved over the years. And that complexity um, and the dissonance mm-hmm. that's there uh, helps create that extended urban experience. And this is the kind of stuff that Jane Jacobs wrote about New York when she was, you know, crusading against Robert Moses in mm-hmm. the 1960s. You know, it's so, it's so funny to me because it, it, nowadays, either restaurants or shopping centers or whatever it is, they try so hard to make it look lived in and comfortable. I like right. they're if like. I, if, before we get to the menu, I'd like to describe the table. We we went, actually right. went to Binghamton, New York, to an abandoned <laughs> right. factory to bring back this table. And, and it even goes bigger <laughs> than that. Like there there are, I've been to multiple like exurb downtown areas that have just popped up in the last three years, and they have faded lettering. You know, like <laughs> Dixie Packing Company to make it look like they've been there forever. Kind of like a T-shirt you buy at Urban Outfitters, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like, it's like a Washington Bullets T-shirt. You right. Know, it's like sort of faded. It's like it just got here from yeah. like brand Malaysia new or whatever. Right? Brand yeah. new stuff that yeah. looks weathered. Yeah, I mean, and the, there's the, really no substitute for genuine authenticity. Right. And genuine there's no company. better example of that, Peter, right, than uh, just look in D.C., compare sort of Union Market yeah. to Eastern Market. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Union Market hasn't even burned down yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so uh, is there a point, you know, that, that they have in the Politico, like, you know, story about the Trump? I mean, like, the this is all fairly new, like your neighborhood, as you said. Um, it, it's 
it, it's kind of it's a lot of steel and glass. Uh, they do the Navy Yard is pretty amazing. I mean, it's one of the oldest structures in in Washington D.C. One of the oldest naval ins- installations in the world. I think it's actually, the first one in the, the United States. It's the first yeah. one in the United States. Uh, I was a little bummed when they got rid of the destroyer that yeah. was like docked there. <laughs> um, but you know the the wharf is like you know is this kind of brand new thing and you know it, it it's not like what was there before was awesome I mean it was like some abandoned hotels and and it was a little weird they're keeping the the fish market which is the which oldest is what, continuously yeah. operated outdoor fish market in America thanks to Rudy Giuliani who of course <laughs> shut the Fulton Street fish market in New York City <laughs> there's it always comes back to somebody connected to Trump doesn't it. <laughs> um, and you know, so do they have a point though that like this this is where the Trump people are gravitating because it doesn't have as much of an affiliation with D.C., which their boss is railed against. I mean, whether that's a, a, an authentic criticism of D.C. or just like a, a, a applause line he uses, but is there do they have a point that this is so new? This is where they feel the most comfortable because it's not Adams Morgan. It's not Shaw. It's not U Street. You know? Well, yeah, I'll answer that two ways. So one is I haven't met any of them yet in, in the neighborhood, and I've gotten to know They all spoke on people. background, too. Yes, we don't they, even know who they are. No, right. <laughs> so it's possible that some of them are my neighbors. Um, but, uh, you know, I have a, a good friend who uh, – my oldest childhood friend from my years growing up in Far Rockaway who's, who was traumatized by his experience growing up in Queens in the late 70s and early 80s. Well, as, as one does. Yeah. As one is. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's sort of like um, all your favorite 1970s New York police crime movies, uh, <laughs> except you had to actually live it as a child. And, um, you know, he came to visit me for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and he looked around and he said, I didn't know a city could be like this. Now, this is a guy who reminds me of the David Brooks character, Patio Man, going back uh-huh. many election yeah. cycles ago. And, and you know, my, my friend has over the years moved increasingly further and further away from New York to the extent now where he is exactly halfway between the New York and Philadelphia metro areas. And, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what side of the street you live on, you get the different um, cable package with the different local news. Right. But, um, you know, he was astonished to see what has become in the Navy Yard. Um, a in, place you that know, works. Yeah, a place that's actually very livable and very enjoyable to live. It's very urban. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one of the mo- it is already becoming one of the most densely populated po- neighborhoods in the entire city. We're going to be pushing 10,000 residents within just the Navy Yard portion of this area uh by the end of this year. And, you know, that's really incredible. Um so it is sort of a city within a city. Mm-hmm. Um and everything is new and shiny. And um, there have been a lot of efforts to try to create some architectural diversity. There's been some homage to the the previous uh, you know style of DC architecture, the Capital Quarter townhomes, part of the Arthur Capper Carrollsburg um, Hope Six mm-hmm. public housing redevelopment uh, built by built by EYA mm-hmm. uh, look a lot like traditional DC row houses. Um, and some people are fooled by that, actually. So, some people may remember uh, Hope Six uh, as, as an album by P.J. Harvey. Yeah, it's <laughs> so the Hope Six it, Demolition it, it, Project. Yeah, yes. Hope Six Demolition That's D.C. Yes. It's yeah. good, a good album, too. Uh, yeah, amazing album. Um, yeah, so, you know, there is there are these efforts, like Peter was alluding to and like you're talking about, to try to create that. But mm-hmm. it's really, you know, I think it really comes down to the experience of living in a place. And right. so I've been in, back in in this neighborhood now for... 20 months, and I've been really enjoying watching the neighborhood unfold and mm-hmm. evolve, and uh, it's a great place to live. And I should say, I uh, should disclose, um, because the host you're guesting for, I think, blogs uh, for the Hill newspaper, and 
Um, you know, I wrote a, a piece for them going back about 14 years ago where I was very skeptical about the plans for the Navy Yard and mm-hmm. the Capitol Riverfront. Uh, they looked great on paper, but I really wasn't sure what they would add up to in real life. Right. Uh, uh, would, and, would people want to live there? Yeah, would it, but w- yeah. right, would it feel real? Right. You know, or would it, or would you feel like you're in some sort of, you know, Crystal City. Truman show? Would it be Crystal City? Right. Part right, two. Right. And you Crystal know, City is trying Boogaloo. to. So that's a very great example, actually, of learning from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Arlington has been working really, really hard at fixing places like Crystal City and Roslyn mm-hmm. um, and that were very single use when they were first developed and trying to make them, you know, livable um, and have people live, work and play there. And they're achieve- they're, they're largely starting to achieve that. So the the politics of this is 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 like is a little weird too. So we have a bunch of people who I mean they may be registered to vote here, they may not be registered to vote here. Right. Uh, they're certainly more conservative. They're certainly Republicans. Um, but they they I could understand feeling a little um, you know like you have to circle the wagons in a in a city where your boss was you know got four percent of the vote or something. Um, and people are and are heckling <laughs> the the senior staff at, at restaurants. Um, but the, the, I mean, people in D.C. seem to be like okay with this. I mean, like you know, last week the, were the D.C. primary, the Democratic primary, Republican primary. Um, there, yes, there is still a Republican Party in D.C. It's just somewhere like I, I don't. I would be, fa- be fascinated to see where the HQ was actually, if there was. If it was just in somebody's like garden shed or something in right. the Spring Valley. Uh, <laughs> it's in a gutter somewhere. <laughs> it's, but like. Um, you know, people voted overwhelmingly not to change anything in the Democratic primaries. Right. I mean, they were they were presented with some very stark choices. Uh, you know, between you know Phil Mendelson uh, and Ed Lazier, you know, uh, in, for council chairman, they went with Mendelson. Yeah. You know, uh, they went with Muriel Bowser. Now, you know, not everybody was like fully funded, but like the people who voted, and granted, it wasn't a huge cross section of the city. Uh, they voted to keep the current people there, and because they're seemingly happy with the way things are going. Yeah, I mean, as you were alluding to, the, the Democratic primary sort of is a de facto election right. in D.C. And um, and that actually is a very significant outcome uh, about the continuity because mm-hmm. we have not reelected a mayor in D.C. since 2002. Right, since it's, Anthony Williams. So we've had, you know, the, the previous couple of mayors were unseated in the primary. Now, you could make the argument that from a policy perspective, from an urban policy perspective and all the issues we've been talking about, there really hasn't been a lot of difference uh, between all of these administrations. Now, there's differences in the way they speak about the issues, and they certainly prioritize some over others. Mm-hmm. But there's been a general continuity of the direction that D.C. has been heading from the built environment perspective and the redevelopment perspective. So I think it is significant that Mayor Bowser um, you know, has, uh, is on her path to reelection mm-hmm. because it has been uh, you know, a long time since we've reelected a mayor in this town. One of the flashpoints in the election too uh, was was over you know doing away with the the tipped wage and bringing yes. everybody up to fifteen dollars uh, for minimum wage. Um, this was something that the restaurant industry fought like sort of tooth and nail, um, and and it passed fair, fairly comfortably. It was like fifty five forty five. Uh, that to me seems like an indication of people worried about the city becoming unaffordable. Yes, I, I agree with that take. Uh, as you know. Um, I have two and a half more years of payments on a restaurant in Denver that no longer exists. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, I am sensitive to the uh, to the fears of restaurant owners for mm-hmm. sure. It's a very tough business. 
Um, but yes, I, I agree with that with that assessment. I, people are very concerned about affordability. Mm -hmm. People are concerned about displacement. Uh, people are concerned about folks' ability to earn a living wage. Uh, all strong market cities across the country are grappling with these issues. In the absence of leadership at the federal and state level, mm -hmm. mayors and city councils have taken up the the, the lead, the, leading the charge on these issues by trying to pass laws that they can control to try to um, help. And um, there, are, you know, you you have to really uh, tackle this problem from both directions, though. You know, mm -hmm. you want to create sort of a safety net. You want to try to preserve and build as much affordable housing as you can. That's hard to do because it requires a tremendous subsidy. The best way we also don't have that much land. That's right. Yeah. That, that's right. So um, the best way to to make sure that people can afford to stay in the city as it's getting better is to give them access to economic opportunity, mm -hmm. right? And what we're seeing in my work around the country is that. The very communities, um, you know, the, the minority neighborhoods, the immigrant neighborhoods, the low-income neighborhoods that are most at risk of displacement as this wave of development happens across urban America are the ones that are now, post-recession, most disconnected from the economic engines of our city. You know, where are the jobs being created and mm -hmm. where is wealth being created? And uh, they, are, they are less connected than ever to, to those sources of, of wealth and opportunity. And that's really what mayors and city councils and city officials have been grappling with and a lot of the focus of the work that I've been doing. So I think you, what you saw in the D.C. primary with that vote um, for the, for the uh, tipped uh, minimum wage was an example of an expression of, of the fact that folks of all stripes, all colors, all incomes are recognizing right. that pressure exists. And, and I was fascinated by the vote disbursement, too, because it, it failed. You know, it, it, mm. it didn't in, in Capitol Hill and like sort of upper northwest and the rest of the city voted for it. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can make a case that those who are more sympathetic to the, the sources of capital or, right. or ownership were more worried that maybe this wasn't the best solution. And I, and I have to say, you know, looking on, on Facebook, a lot of my friends in D.C. were very conflicted about how to vote. They weren't sure if this was going to solve the problem or make it mm -hmm. worse. And that's that's part of the, the confusion around these issues. And, I, right. you know, in, in our work, we really uh, emphasize you have to have um, a multi-prong attack to all of these issues. You can't just solve it by building more affordable housing or you can't just solve it by You've got to right. be dealing with it on all of these fronts. Yeah, it, it, the I think you know the people have mentioned San Francisco as an example oh, of an like where where, where they you know people just cannot afford to live there anymore. Right. I mean, and it's not just you know people on the you know uh, uh, in the service sector. It's like police officers, firefighters. Well, like, it's worse you know, than that. Yeah, I have yeah, a friend from know. Denver who's a banker and his wife is an attorney, and they say they can't afford to live in <laughs> San Francisco. You know, so. So, I mean, again, the, your your experience as someone who came here in 1990 and and lives here, you know, uh, in in 2018. What are the biggest, you know, sort of um, what are, what are the biggest changes that you've seen that for for the for positive, you know? Because it's it's easy to get wrapped up in like, you know, things are kind of unaffordable and the traffic sucks and you know, like everybody hates each other, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, no, uh, I mean, like pe people are. But but what are what are some yeah. of the good things that have happened? So it's a know? lot safer. Mm -hmm. And it feels a lot safer. And perception of safety actually is more important than actual crime data, right? So mm -hmm. people feel safe. Just ask the White House. <laughs> <laughs> people feel safer. It is safer. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot more uh, things to do. There's mm -hmm. a lot more places to go. There's these, these incredible new riverfront parks that mm -hmm. didn't exist. Um, there's all these great restaurants. There's all these fun things to do in D.C. Um, there's whole swaths of the city that were rife with abandonment. 
mm-hmm. you know, when I first came here in the 90s that now is teeming with life and vitality. Remember, remember in the late 90s, there was a lottery to buy abandoned to homes buy the, for right. like five grand? Absolutely. And, and you, had to, you had to live there for a certain, like a couple of years or whatever. But like, can you imagine some of these homes are like probably million dollar homes now? Oh, like I, no, houses, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. yeah. So that was largely successful. But that, mm-hmm. that shows you the, the seismic shift. From where we were, you know, less than twenty years ago, and other cities really struggle with, like Philadelphia, where you lived for for th- uh, three, three years. years. I mean, like they they still don't know what to do with all this aban- all these abandoned properties, right? In in large parts of the city. Yeah. So yeah, so those things have been really successful indeed. And the other big thing is fiscally, the city is in a much better place. As mm-hmm. uh, uh, Brian Kenner, the deputy mayor for planning and economic development, told me when he was in my program, we can do more with more. Yeah. Right. So with all this development come all of the taxes that it generates and that helps fill the city's uh, budget and an ability to spend money uh, to help people and to position people to be successful. So that is also a very good thing because cities that are not growing mm-hmm. uh, are sort of in a, in, a, in a trap where they fiscally don't have the resources to, and they're not going to get it from the federal government right. you know, that they need to deal with these problems. Cities are the place where uh, public officials are really the only place where public officials are really held accountable in America today. You know, they have to balance their budget and they can't just leave their, their uh, residents uh, uncared for. Right. Gideon? We could go on, uh, but uh, we're, we're going to leave it at that because it's, it's a slightly hopeful note there about, about politics. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the Bill Press Show and talking about this. We will we'll have you back. Uh, I'm Jason Dick. I'll be right back talking with Bridget Bowman, our senior politics reporter at Roll Call, about today's primaries. And you can follow along on YouTube at The Bill Press Show. Thanks. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Welcome back. I am not Bill Press. I am Jason Dick. I'm the managing editor for leadership at Roll Call. Uh, I'm subbing for Bill. Bill is, uh, as, as we mentioned before, in Russia at the World Cup. Uh, he's uh, dispatched on a number of missions, especially to uh, figure out what's wrong with Messi uh, and whether he can... Uh, get into uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's head or not. Uh, but in the meantime, you've got me. Uh, I'm joined, as, as always, by Peter Ogburn and Ray in the, in the booth. And we've got Bridget Bowman, our senior politics reporter at Roll Call. And she's going to break down some of today's primaries for us. Uh, there's a lot going on today, isn't there, Bridget? Yes, there's a lot going on. Uh, there's seven states are hosting primaries. Five have their regularly scheduled primaries. Two are hosting runoffs in a mm-hmm. couple of races. So a lot to watch, definitely, tonight. Yeah, and some of them, are, I mean, there's a little more action going on than us, than, than others. New York uh, is is sort of the big prize. And we'll, we're, we're going to save that for, for last because uh, there's a lot of races that, that are potentially uh, competitive. The, the Democrats uh, are, are targeting, I think, all nine <laughs> Republicans uh, in, in the state in their mm-hmm. quest to try to re- uh, regain the majority in, in the House. Um, but let's let's talk real quickly. There's a couple. There's a runoff in Mississippi, and there's, there's a runoff in South Carolina. The president was down in South Carolina yesterday to talk about the governor, who's in, who's in a runoff. But there's also a house race too, and that's in that's for Trey Gowdy's seat, correct? Right. So that seat in South Carolina, mm-hmm. the seat in Mississippi. There's also an open seat race in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. All three of those are solidly Republican seats. So right. the winners of those primaries are expected to win right. in November. So we might have a sense of maybe some new members for the next Congress after tonight. Right. Yeah. Uh, Greg Harper. I mean. Th- not a, not a nationwide name in Mississippi, uh, but for people on Capitol Hill, he's the chairman of the House Administration Committee. Uh, he uh, was was briefly in, in the spotlight because his committee was processing a lot of things about uh, sexual assault and mm-hmm. rules. And you know, when we had this sort of um, this big sort of series of resignations and questions about sexual misconduct in Congress, his committee, you know, is sort of policed with 
uh, you're, you're kind of a you know task with making sure that people understand what rules are. Mm-hmm. Um, not not every congressman and co- or congresswoman does. Uh, so he is retiring. Uh, Gowdy, as we mentioned, is 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 retiring. He's got a a, a couple of folks in a runoff for his, for his seat, and uh, the Oklahoma seat is Jim Bridenstine, who is now the NASA administrator. Um, so so that's all. All kind of interesting, but again, not going to change uh, the, the the complexion of, of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, a couple of interesting races in Colorado. Let's 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 move westward there. Yes. Uh, what's going on in Colorado? So a couple things I'm watching in Colorado. There's a Republican congressman named Doug Lamborn who mm-hmm. almost actually didn't make the primary ballot. Right. Uh, there was a legal challenge to his petition signatures, and he was off the ballot, and then he was on the ballot again. Uh, so he has, I believe, four uh, primary challengers, two sort of more active ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is likely to survive, according to folks I've talked to, just mm-hmm. because there are four primary challengers. So mm-hmm. they're expected kind to of split, split. the vote. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he survived primaries in the past. So he's expected to uh, to succeed tonight. And he's a fir- he's a conservative guy from the conservative part of the state. He's from right. Colorado Springs, right? So, so if I he mean, wins he, yeah. tonight, he's probably going to get right. another term as well. Yeah. Uh, another race I'm watching in Colorado is the 6th District, which is held by Republican Congressman Mike Kaufman. Mm-hmm. He's been a very elusive target for Democrats in right. past election cycles. His district shifted a lot under redistricting and became a lot more Democratic. But he's been able to hang on. He's kind of known as a diligent campaigner. Mm-hmm. He learned Spanish. Um, he has a very hardworking reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Democrats think like this might be the cycle where right. we can actually unseat him. Uh, National Democrats believe Army veteran Jason Crow is a stronger candidate against Mike Kaufman, mm-hmm. uh, who is also a veteran himself. Uh, but there is sort of a outsider versus establishment kind of dynamic going on. There's a mm-hmm. candidate called Levi Tilleman okay. who has made quite a big deal of Democratic leadership, kind of pressuring him to drop out of the race, mm-hmm. um, saying that that is, you know, they shouldn't have done that. Um, but so we'll have to see. Jason Crow has spent a lot more money in the primary. He seems to have some local support. So it looks like he might make it through, but that will be one to watch as well. And we're and when we start talking about New York, we'll see a lot more of this establishment versus insurgent, if mm-hmm. you will, Kind of dynamic play out. I mean, they're they're we're talking about people who don't really have a lot of differences in terms of their policy stances, right. uh, or not, or even necessarily their style. It's just one person, you know, is is younger, mm-hmm. <laughs> or one person was not endorsed by national Democrats, um, and and that that's accounting for a lot of drama. But what? But first, <laughs> uh, Utah. Yes. Right, ne- right next door to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some of the you know kind of drama. We alluded to a little bit uh, earlier. Um, our friend Brandon Weatherby was was talking about Mitt Romney, uh, mm-hmm. how he's uh, you know sort of he learned the secret to success, which is to suck up to Trump uh, in Republican circles. What he's got a primary, um, right? Yes, he was yeah. forced into a primary, so he could have secured the Republican nomination at the convention in mm-hmm. April if he had gotten sixty percent of the delegate votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually narrowly defeated by a state representative named Mike Kennedy. Uh, but Utah folks in Utah say that the conventions tend to support more conservative. Mm-hmm. Kind of candidates, not that Congress or Governor Romney is not conservative, but that, you know, there was some consternation about him being a former governor of Massachusetts and coming to Utah. Right. And even though he does have ties to the state as well. And he lived in France for a while. Yeah. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he is expect national Republicans here in D.C. are mm-hmm. expecting him to win right. tonight. And also this convention, I mean, they, they changed the rules after Robert Bennett was defeated by Mike Lee at the convention back mm-hmm. in back in 2010. It's sort of an early 
you know, sign of how much power the, the Tea Party and sort of insurgent Republican roots uh, might have. Um, Lee won the convention and became the nominee and is, is still a senator. Um, and, and so they, they kind of they wanted to make sure in Utah, apparently, that uh, the, if the convention didn't go the way of, of uh, you know, that they that maybe the establishment wanted, that there was another avenue for the voters. Yeah, right? there's two ways to get on the ballot through the convention or mm-hmm. through collecting signatures. And Romney also collected signatures. And he actually said that he thinks that that's why the delegates kind of rebelled against him, mm-hmm. because he took this other route, because it's seen as sort of diluting the power of these right. delegates at the convention. So there was some kind of interesting dynamics happening there. Right. And, and so, I mean, Romney... Probably, you know, favored to win. Um, mm-hmm. Our our colleague Nathan Gonzalez thinks that that's that's probably going to go go Romney's way. Um, the Democrat in the race uh, is a Salt Lake. She's a local official, Salt uh, Lake County Councilwoman. Yes. Um, Jenny Wilson. Jenny Wilson. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, she she has a you know sort of a she comes from the the part of the state that's growing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Salt Lake, Salt Lake County. Uh, does she have any kind of chance? I think she believes she does. I think <laughs> <laughs> so diplomatically, but <laughs> um, I think she she does have some case to make in that mm. she already represents a good amount of the population mm-hmm. um, in Salt Lake County. Um, her father, I believe, was also active in Utah politics. Mm-hmm. But just the Republican nature of the state makes it a pretty uphill climb for her. Right now, um, Mia Love, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, I, I should mention, you uh, you you share MVP awards <laughs> with the Congressional <laughs> Women's Softball game. Uh, we have a sitting MVP here, oh, Peter. Oh wow! All yes. right, Bridget. Bridget hurt, hit the first home run in Congressional uh, Women's Softball game Wait, really? history. Yes, yeah. la- last week, la- la- uh, <laughs> Wednesday, uh, she hit a three-run home run. It was the first home run in the history of the game. And was named M- MVP. Yeah, the, you're like a you're like a Bryce Harper type. Well, I mean Bryce Harper. Except she's right. hitting. Yeah, exactly. Aww. Yeah, she, she's 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 actually hitting a home run. You know, I actually this is, this is a really sweet story. Bryce Harper actually went to the hospital last week and promised a kid with cancer he was going to ground out to second. And you know what? <laughs> you know what? Ouch! He did it. Ouch! He did it. You are so Aww. mean. Oh my God. <laughs> Congratulations even... on the home run, though. That's yes. amazing. That's yes. so yeah, badass. So, so, so she was named MVP. The Bad News Babes, the press team, mm-hmm. beat the members of Congress. Um, and Mia Love, who was named the MVP of the members team and also plays baseball. I mm-hmm. mean, she she's a two-sport uh, letter woman uh, here uh, in, in Congress. Uh, she faces a potentially tough race, right? And, in, yes. and I mean, she's going to win her primary yep. easily, but she, she's been targeted by Democrats. How how credible is the threat to her, you know, for the general election? So Democrats think that their candidate, uh, Ben McAdams, is very strong. He, I believe, outraced her at one point in, in a recent fundraising quarter. Mm-hmm. They see him as very strong candidate, someone who can who is already elected in the area, mm-hmm. um, and who can appeal to also moderates in the in the district as well. So she mm-hmm. could have a tougher race on her hand this year. Right, and it hasn't been so long since a Democrat was right. in Congress. Jim Matheson. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, granted, Jim Matheson's name kind of went back far. I mean, his his uh, dad was in politics too, um, but he was a Democrat and from the that sort of Salt Lake suburban area. I, I, the district's changed uh, since mm-hmm. since he was in Congress, but it's in it's in recent memory that there has been a Democrat from Utah. Although it's uh, probably lo- fairly long odds, you know, if you're if you're placing them. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, and then Maryland. Mm-hmm. We're almost to New York. Maryland. What's going on in Maryland? So Maryland, the race to watch is the open seat in the 6th District. This is a very crowded Democratic primary, but it also features David Trone, mm-hmm. who is in Total the, line. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who is in the history books as the biggest house race self-funder in house race history. Last cycle, he spent over $11 million mm-hmm. trying to win a primary um, in Maryland, did not win. And that was for the seat that's currently held by Jamie Raskin, yes. which is more Bethesda and mm-hmm. probably where Peter lives, uh, up yeah, in that corridor. Absolutely. You're, you're, uh, you're, Raskin is your congressman? Yes, indeed. So up in, where do you live? Gaithersburg, right? Yeah, in that area. Yeah, yeah. isn't that like Ohio or something? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it's it's basically Pennsylvania. You have have like a five-hour commute or something. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, But Citrone Mm -hmm. lost in that, and now he's running in John Delaney's seat. And John Delaney, he'll be elected president, right? I was going to say, you mean president Delaney? President Delaney in 2020. So he's giving up his seat. Uh, This is so. Who is Trone running against? Because he's he's he doesn't have the field. You know, like who's his principal? Uh, competitor in this. So his main kind of opponent is state delegate Aruna Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is an interesting kind of test case Test case because uh, we've seen Democratic women be very successful in primaries so mm-hmm. far this cycle. But can a woman beat someone who's spent over $9 million so right. far, at least, you know, up until the pre-primary reporting period? Uh, so that will be an interesting test of just how much the self-funding can really make an impact and whether um, the state delegate can really cap capitalize on this movement that's been propelling women through primary so far. And the 6th District, just to remind people, I mean, this this for years was represented by one of my, and and this is not a political statement at all, but one of my favorite members of Congress, Roscoe Bartlett. (laughs) Uh, It it, it like sort of went from Frederick all the way to the West Virginia border, like through Garrett County and and like, you know, it represented like, he represented like Deep Creek Lake and all these kind of really wacky, awesome parts of of, uh, Maryland. Uh, the Democrats redistricted it and to basically knock Roscoe out, um, and uh, he he lost. They, they they brought a bunch of Democrats in from particularly Montgomery County to make it a more Democratic seat, which is how Delaney was able to get it. I think Roscoe is now in like literally living in like a hut or something like that. I mean, he's he's a survivalist in in like Western Maryland or something like that. Um, and he's you know he was one of these guys that had all these patents, and he was just like a bizarrely interesting awesome person quirky is a good word quirky is a good is a good word (laughs) he was talking he liked he liked to talk about electromagnetic pulses and the threats that they posed (laughs) uh you know i mean i was just like this guy is amazing um so but this is likely going depending on who who wins whether whether it's trone or or miller this is likely probably to be a democratic seat too it's likely the state democratic right Right. okay Mm -hmm. New York. Yes. Uh, maybe we should have kept Gideon on because Gideon uh, still is traumatized by New York, uh, by, by, as, as, a, as, a, as a person who grew up in, in, in New York uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> he grew up in, he was born in Queens in Rockaway Beach. Okay. Um, so there's a, the, I think, that, again, the Democrats are targeting all nine Republicans in the congressional delegation mm-hmm. uh, for defeat. There is a primary on, on the Senate side. Kirsten Gillibrand is unopposed, so she'll she'll be the nominee. She's heavily favored in the fall. Um, that dynamic probably won't change too much. Um, we are not expecting it to. But in the on the House side, I mean, Democrats need 23 seats to regain the majority uh, or to win the majority. Uh, re- regain makes it sound like they're, you know, there's entitlement there. They just want the majority. Um, if they were to get half of these, that would go a long way because they've got a lot of they've got a big catch of, of uh, races that they're targeting in California. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the dynamics at play? You know, in 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 the in the races that they're targeting before we start talking about the Democratic primary. You know, sure. Uh, so there's a. a- bunch of different things to watch. So if you're looking at what are maybe the best pickup opportunities for them, mm-hmm. uh, Democrats see 
Republican Congresswoman Claudia Tenney is very vulnerable mm -hmm. um, in upstate New York, but there, her Democratic opponent is going to be State Assemblyman Anthony Brindisi. He doesn't mm -hmm. have a primary, so that okay. matchup is pretty much okay. set. Uh, one of the other races that expect, is expected to be very competitive is the race against Republican Congressman John Faso in the mm -hmm. 19th District in the Hudson Syracuse, Valley. Syracuse or Hudson Valley. Um, more south of Albany, okay. like okay. kind of between Albany and New York, like that big Hudson Valley. It's a big district, a mm -hmm. lot of rural areas. Um, that has a very crowded Democratic field. I believe there's six candidates. Um, there's only one woman, so that'll be interesting to watch that dynamic. Um, but three or four of them have raised a lot of money. A couple have outraised Congressman Faso in recent fundraising cycles. Um, the DCCC has not weighed into this race. They see a couple of these candidates, I think, as as strong contenders. Mm -hmm. um, the candidates to watch there here are Army veteran Pat Ryan. He's been endorsed by Congressman Seth Moulton. Mm -hmm. Moulton is actually in the district. He's been campaigning for Pat Ryan uh, over the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, another candidate to watch is attorney Antonio Delgado. Mm -hmm. Um, businessman Brian Flynn, and then former Cuomo aide Gareth Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes was actually endorsed by the New York Times. He did this kind of what he dubbed the Rhodes trip, where he mm -hmm. went all around this big district um, as well. So that we should mention uh, this is Andrew Cuomo, yes. the current governor, not the former governor Mar oh, Mario Cuomo or the or the CNN personality Chris Cuomo. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. Governor Andrew Cuomo. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out of this primary. Just mm -hmm. folks I've talked to have don't know who the front runner is because mm -hmm. it's so crowded, um, and these folks have been spending a lot of money. Um, It'll be interesting to see if positions they've taken in the primary could hurt them in the general election, mm -hmm. like supporting Medicare for all for some of these folks. Um, almost all of them, all but one of them, I think, has supported an assault weapons ban. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a race in the a Democratic primary where gun violence has been a big part of the conversation, which is interesting because there are a lot of gun owners in this district. Mm -hmm. uh, but they see this as a pretty salient issue, especially in the primary. Uh, so that will definitely be a primary to watch. Okay. Uh, Democrats are also targeting Congressman John Katko mm -hmm. in the Syracuse He's area. Syracuse. Yeah, John Faso, I've got John my Katko. John's confused. Faso, <laughs> Katko, you know. Yeah. Um, so here, Republicans actually see Congressman Katko as a very strong incumbent. Mm -hmm. He's been very active uh, combating the opioid epidemic, and they see him as someone who has been able to build that independent brand. Right. Um, here you see we're, on the... We're, and we're talking about people who won... When Hillary Clinton was yes. winning their districts, yes. I mean, they, they won. They outperformed Trump uh, in, in 2016. Correct. So, Clinton yeah. is actually the only one of those. I'm sorry. Katko's district is actually the only one of those nine that Clinton actually won. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump won a bunch of these districts, some of them by pretty big margins. Mm -hmm. But the Faso district is an Obama-Trump district. Okay. Uh, okay. So it saw a swing from okay. Obama winning it in 2012 to Trump right. winning in 2010. Right. Um, but the Katko district in Syracuse, Clinton won it. Um and there is an interesting primary going on. The local Democrats have kind of coalesced around a professor named Dana Balter. Mm -hmm. But then at the last minute, right before the filing deadline, the DCCC recruited Juanita Perez-Williams, who ran unsuccessfully for Syracuse mayor in 2016, mm -hmm. uh, to run in that seat. And that sparked a lot of backlash from local Democrats, uh, you know, chiding the National Party for jumping into a race that they said they didn't understand. So this will definitely be a primary to watch in terms of who actually wins here. Mm -hmm. um, National Democrats see Juanita Perez-Williams as a strong candidate. She's a Navy veteran, former prosecutor. 
So we'll have to see to sort of what comes out of Although who comes she out of lost that two years ago. <laughs> right. Which is what local Democrats say <laughs> right. is that she wasn't able to win. So, you know, we want to go with our choice right. and someone who's been here from the beginning and been right. running for a while. So that will be definitely a Democratic primary to watch. Okay. Um, and of course, we can't forget the Staten Island race in the 11th yes, district. Yes, this is the best one. <laughs> oh this my is gosh. the best one. It's been so interesting to watch. Uh, so this is for, uh, Republican Congressman Dan Donovan, mm-hmm. who's being primaried on the Republican side by former Congressman Michael Grimm, also convicted felon. Who's former FBI time. agent who was former convicted F- of tax evasion and went to prison. Yes, served just seven months in prison, mm-hmm. uh, and he's back. And he is challenging Congressman Donovan. Uh, Democrats are actually optimistic that whoever wins that primary, that they have a good shot against. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think they would probably welcome a fight against Michael Grimm. Mm-hmm. And there are actually Republicans who are very concerned that if Grimm were to win the primary, that could put the seat in real jeopardy for them in November. And a couple of interesting things about this race, too, is that, I mean, Dan Donovan has been endorsed by President Trump, yes. even, even though Michael Grimm you know, did everything he could to sort of hug the president mm-hmm. you know, tightly. Um, including mimicking some of his language about like that he was the victim of a witch hunt, you know, and selective prosecution by the Justice Department because he didn't pay his taxes. Uh, um, But also like Staten Island, I mean, Staten Island is the more conservative part of New York City. Um, Mm -hmm. People forget that it's one of the five boroughs, I think. Um, It it, it is, um, you know, it it, it is sort of off to the side there. Uh, but but parts of the district also encompass Brooklyn and Queens, which accounts for, you know, like there there's some swingy areas there, right? There's some more Democratic precincts. Yeah. This race will certainly be, I think, a test of the strength of the president's mm-hmm. endorsement. And he was also making the argument in his endorsement that Donovan is a stronger general election mm-hmm. candidate. Um, Donald Trump Jr. recorded a robocall for Donovan. Rudy Giuliani has been campaigning for Donovan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but folks say that Michael Grimm has a connection with people in this district, especially with Republicans. And he's he, kind of a tough talking guy. I mean, yeah. like he threatened to break a reporter in half in the con- in Congress. You know, that always is like gets, gets you a couple of applause lines. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, some some of the. I mean, he's uh, you know he. he there's a lot of cops, you know, mm-hmm. in, in Staten Island. I mean, that's the sort of the, the thing. that It's a heavily law enforcement friendly place. I mean, yeah. Dan Donovan's a prosecutor. Right. But like, and Donovan you know. has been endorsed by firefighters and right. police officers. Um, but this race has gotten really nasty and mm-hmm. personal. And there have been a couple of debates. In New York, it. really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I am shocked. <laughs> it's shocking. Um, but there have been a couple of debates between these two. And my notes from the debates are a mess because they're just talking over each other the mm-hmm. entire time. Um, it's gotten really personal. Um, but some Republicans point out that Grimm is a hardworking campaigner. He kind of shows up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Over the weekend, he showed up an event that he wasn't invited to that was hosted by someone that endorsed Dan Donovan, and he just kind of popped up there. And He's also so got he's the mooch on that. his side. Yeah, that's true. Anthony, Anthony, Scaramucci. Anthony Scaramucci has been making the rounds with Michael Grimm. Yep. And, and that's almost like a—I mean, even though Trump, like, has— has endorsed Donovan. I mean, when people see the mooch, it's like when Corey Lewandowski comes on. It's like that's mm-hmm. really Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that. That's the where the Trump energy really is. Well, you know, we we've talked about this before of how politicians I think will make a mistake by trying to run like Trump ran because I think only Trump can run like Trump, except for maybe Michael Grimm. Right. Yeah. Like Michael Grimm was Trump before Trump was a politician. Like right. I think he could absolutely get away with it. Also, I mean, the I mean. Some some listeners may be wondering, but he's a felon. It's like actually there is no prohibition against felons being in Congress. Mm-hmm. You can be elected to Congress. Um, there there may be you may not be able to teach 
school if you're a convicted felon or host a you know an awesome radio program you know uh, like <laughs> there's the hope Press for me show. yet <laughs> uh, but you can be elected to congress i mean like mm-hmm. to, uh, years years ago when jim Traficant got out of federal prison he made some noises about coming back to congress mm-hmm. um how great would that have been? Anyway, amazing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, who is the? But one one thing that we uh, haven't have mentioned. So, who? What are the? What's on the Democratic side? Depending on who, whether Donovan or Grimm, you know, comes out uh, on 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 top, mm-hmm. who who would be the Democrat? So there is a Democratic primary here, mm-hmm. but the DCCC has weighed in, uh, backing Max Rose, who's mm-hmm. an Army veteran. Uh, they I'm sensing a trend. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they see veterans. veterans as really strong candidates, mm-hmm. uh, and he has been proved to, proven to be a pretty prolific fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, is out there already campaigning, and the DCCC put out a memo yesterday that said Max Rose can take on either Donovan or Grimm or both if something mm-hmm. weird happens with the ballot and Grimm, because New York has this kind of strange system where they right. have a bunch of party lines. Right, and, he can win the conservative right. like, party nod. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right, so we've got about two minutes left. Mm-hmm. What, uh, like, what's going on in New York City with all these Democratic primaries? Like, there, there are. I mean, the, the, as as you mentioned in your story on roll call about, mm-hmm. like, you know, in in the New York primary, uh, people like Joe Crowley, who are people are talking about as the next potential Speaker of the House if Nancy Pelosi doesn't get the nod uh, or if she retires, he has a primary. Then they're spending millions of dollars yes. on on their primaries against people who no, nobody's ever heard of. Yep. What's uh, going on here? So Crowley and three other longtime Democrats in mm-hmm. New York City have primary challengers. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they're spending a lot of money, which is a sign that they're taking these challenges seriously. Right. And something that we actually haven't really seen in a lot of other areas of the country, mm-hmm. uh, three out of four of those challengers are young candidates. Uh, minority candidates, mm-hmm. people who say, like, we are part of this new generation of Democrats and we want people who are even more to the left and are right. more combative and are fighters is a phrase that they used, I think, in all of those debates. So Crowley is up against uh, a, a woman um, named Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who right. was a, a Sanders organizer. In okay. So we got a, like a, almost like an establishment Sanders thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol Maloney. Uh, she's got a, a challenger. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's this. Uh, I forget. This, uh, he's a hotel uh, executive. Yes. Right. Uh, and and uh, uh, Patel is the name. I'm blanking on the first Siraj. name. Right? Siraj Patel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Elliot Engel mm-hmm. has a challenger. Yes. Um, and and he's and he's the top Democrat on foreign relations. And then also uh, Yvette Clark uh, is is has got a challenger. Adam Adam Bunkadeco. Yes. who is a uh, son of Cameroonian immigrants and Harvard educated, and scored the endorsement of the New York Times. Yes. So, I mean, what do you have a sense of where this is going? We've got 15 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> we'll just, wait and see. <laughs> just tune in. Follow along at rollcall.com yes. uh, is what you're saying. All right. Mm-hmm. Bridget, thank you so much for breaking this down. There's a lot of information. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having this me. This is The Bill Press Show.